Welcome to Beer Fueled. I am your host, Chris Hopper, Beer Fueled Hop, joined by Dan Thurry, Beer Fueled Thurry. It is our fifth annual Fuelies episode. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with the Fuelies, we'll explain those in a minute. Dan, long day? It's been, it's been a day. I've been up since uh, 4 p.m. Central Time, or 4 a.m., 4 p.m., 4 a.m. Central Time. I had to uh, drive three hours to my site and then three hours back home. Um, so it's been it's been a day. It's been a day. But but the beer and this is one of my favorite episodes of the year because there's literally no research outside of you know talking about coaches being fired and rumors that we used to just laugh and talk about the season that just fucking happened and the, the shit show that it was six months are like my favorite episodes of the year if we could just bottle this six months that we're about to go through maybe yes. seven that we're about to go through and just repeat it twice i'd be totally down for that yep exactly well, before we go forward not before we go but before we move on forward uh again at Beerfield hop for me i'm currently working through some dynasty breakdowns of each team so if you're not following me on twitter go give me a follow find out what i think about players working through the afc east right now some of you have probably seen this uh Beerfield theory dan always interacting and giving people some information and if you want an occasional tweet from the show <laughs> Beerfield. occasional tweet yeah. <laughs> if only i like you know would sign into the show account the show and always you know link the uh link the live stream on the actual show account but yeah that 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 creates a lot of extra work so every now and again we do things to help promote most of the time we don't i blame nick i i blame nick for a lot it's all right we're a year from getting him back that's true spoiler alert to people that have been listening for this long nick's might come back (laughs) in a year maybe 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 he misses us i think He he does I think he misses. I think he really misses the uh, the edge that we get during the draft season. I think he does too. That's honestly the thing that if I like, if I've ever thought about quitting, that I think I would miss most would have been the draft break. That I would miss most would be the draft breakdowns and analysis. Yeah, it really is the best yeah. time of year. I actually, got up for doing some dynasty analysis and stuff too. So, um, found some interesting things. I'll probably be doing some articles about that. Spoiler alert. Ooh, wink, wink, there, nudge, like, nudge. I like how you just like, like edge that in there. Yeah. Would have put some articles up. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge over the computer. Yeah, we'll get there. As soon as our we'll lazy SIT guy gets to work, I know that guy just literally it's me. I'm the lazy. He, like doesn't do anything, but he does everything. That's me. I'm if the, only I'm very good at that. Not doing anything, but doing everything. <laughs> Again, this is why I blame Nick. Look, He's always in charge. If you want to f- find the most efficient way to get something done, ask the laziest person that still cares to do it. The laziest, <laughs> most intelligent person in the room will find the most efficient way to do something. As long especially, as they especially if they're motivated to be as lazy as possible. That's right. <laughs> find the easiest way to do it. It's like God, I gotta fucking do this. Hold on. Ah. Uh, well, they'll spend more time finding an easier way to do it than they would doing it the tedious way. Yeah, but but God damn it, they found the quickest way to do it. Yep. <laughs> Once they started. Anyway, Feelies, it's our super original idea. And I say that tongue in cheek because we definitely ripped the idea off from the footies. But 
at the same time, I'm scrolling through Twitter and I don't remember seeing this in years past, but now there's like, I saw no less than nine people doing award shows this week. So this is our fifth annual. I, I'm sure that these other guys have been doing them too. They're newer followers for me, but this is our fifth annual. We go through, hand out some awards. Some of them are fun. Some of them are serious. And then, as always, the prestigious Golden Handcuffs Award. That's one of the fun ones that really isn't fun, but we make fun of it. Um, and we got yeah, some, yeah, we got some Black Monday stuff for you too. So, um, yeah, I think we're just gonna hit beer and then Black Monday. We could talk about Antonio Brown, but I don't really want to. No, we're good in the saga that that's been. I think we're, I think we're good there. I agree. What's fueling beer fueled? So before we jump into beer, I don't know if, you know, because we're very unprofessional. We check our phones. Uh, sleeper notification. AJ Dillon donated $35,000 of fantasy football weddings that he got from the Super Bowl annual to a local nonprofit. First off, shout out to AJ Dillon winning the Super or the uh, Sleeper Bowl league that he was a part of with a bunch of, you know, in the know guys from the community, including Scott Fish and Ryan McDowell. And I believe the ballers were in there. So very cool thing. I love seeing athletes being a part of uh, being a part of this you know, community and really, you know, taking it to heart. You know, Austin Eckler does the show with, you know, with the pod father. So it's, I think it's, you know, better for football that, it, you know, especially better for the community. It's as long as we're not, you know, sending death threats because there's You'd some be good to the know, players. The, the players will here. be good to you. Yeah. It, it's good to see them embrace it. So I wanted to shot that out. Sorry. AJ Dillon and Austin Eckler are pretty much universally loved by the fantasy community. So. Yeah, and you get you get some of the lesser known guys. Um, oh my God, the backup for Tennessee, the rookie last year, running back. Oh, Darrington Evans. Uh, Darrington Evans. He's also pretty big in the community. He does a lot more gaming, but he's 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 really interactive with a lot of the fantasy space too. So yeah, cool, 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 cool. cool. No, that that God, it's what awesome. a great finish this show. It's yeah. always good to see uh to see them interact. I have not seen it yet. I'm still. Are you still, still working, working through, it? through it? Yeah. So we yeah. do this thing. We get off on tangents on this show, by the way. Yeah, we do. We yeah, do we this do. thing where we like, and I'm sure this is not abnormal, but we don't binge watch a full up, a full like series of something when we decide to start it. We binge watch like three seasons and then we'll start something else and then we'll come back and do a night of binging and then we'll, we'll go away for a bit and then we'll come back and do maybe two nights of binging. So it takes us forever <laughs> to get through anything. That's so fair. that that's kind of why nine nine is still like I think we're in like four or five seasons in. So we still got a couple to I, get through. We we started it a long time ago, and we got through the first. I want to say the first six. We went back and rewatched six, mm-hmm. um, and then we just finished it. We we've 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 been burning through shows. We've been extra quarantined with the honeymoon coming up, oh. so. Lot, lot more television has been it's been watched. We also like watch TV once every three weeks too, so that doesn't help. Yeah, no, I mean you guys have an excuse. You know, you have a living kid, breathing, a bunch you know, of shit kid. we're trying to keep together outside of that. It's like I might get time to sit down and watch TV, tw- you know, twice a month. Other than sports. No. So. Oh my god, I, I don't know what we do. 
Anyways. Uh, anyway. All right. I I am because at the Feelies episode every year, I oh, I like man. to break out some of the fun stuff for it. I've been I, I've actually outside of one bourbon that I haven't opened up yet because I'm saving it for uh for when you, me, and Brad link up. Mm-hmm. Um I got into I've drank them all. So I, I got uh last year's Bourbon County. This is the uh this is the the number four. So this oh, is nice. um this is the mocha roasted nut, sweet maple, mm. and a touch of blueberry. So if if anyone out there is familiar with uh you know with four hands, uh I think of uh single origins is kind of you know similar to that. A heavier stout that's got uh hints of maple and blueberry part of it. This is obviously bourbon county, so it's aged in I bourbon barrels and stuff to like. So this was the last of the variants from last year. And for those of you who do not know, you should try not to hold on to any adjunct heavy stouts or porters for longer than a year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not to say that they won't fall off, but adjuncts, especially coffee, vanilla, and any fruits will fall off quickly. So you, you want to be able to experience what it actually is supposed to be. So just a little tidbit out there for those that are aging bottles for a long time. I take a call out, especially for Bourbon County, because people will buy those and sit on them for years at a time. Some of those variants, you got to be careful doing that with. Like the cola is fine. It's not adjuncted. But for, yeah. for this year, there there are some others that you don't want to do that with. And every year, there's some others that you don't want to do that with. And then uh, generally, always do something with some sort of fruit. You know, generally dark fruit, obviously. And, and, and you'll see some other random shit be added i actually had an orange chocolate one from 2018 last year that's still drank by i was very surprised all right um i have narrow gauge so i have uh saint ferdinand's or sorry i have the old town porter i couldn't read the black so narrow gauge uh very popular brewery out of st louis they don't distribute um but if you're ever here because, you know, there's like an airport here and some other things. So St. Louis isn't as weird of a place to be as, say, Springfield, just on a whim. Uh, shoot up to Florissant and, and check them out. Because they're pretty much nationally renowned for their IPAs and their hazies. But uh, we're going a little different route this go-around. We've got, like I said, Old Town Porter. So it's just, it's a it's a porter, basically. It's a Baltic, I think. Robust. Sorry. Yeah, robust. So Baltics and Robust, kind of the same thing where you just end up with the higher ABV, more or less. So okay. there's a robust porter. Uh, full review on that in between Black Monday and the Feelies. And I believe we have some Black Monday. I still have these old drops on the board, so I'm just going to use them. I have no idea what they are, though. Ooh, fun. Black Monday. That's fitting. You must have made that one after we stopped using actual like sound bites and stuff. I was hoping it'd be like, it'd, you know, it'd be like my chemical romance, oh. like the Black Parade. Well, <laughs> something like I don't remember. Like I know we haven't used that one. But I was kind of like hoping that there was something copyright claimed a few times. Like, well, yeah, you know, my heart will go on. It's effectively my heart will get copyrighted. So, yeah, here we could have just. Anyway, good old feel. Good old feel. Anyway, that that's a 
hidden gem right there. That is an old. It is. Old. All right. Old. Fired. Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to get through the fired coaches. Quick thoughts on those. Uh, not nearly as much as we thought. Only one real surprise, necessarily. Uh, yeah. We'll go through uh, one retiree, quote unquote. <laughs> I want to know the conversation of that yeah. between the. <laughs> Some guys that are somehow still around, and then the guys that are being kicked around as head coaching candidates, and kind of what we think who's most popular. Obviously, uh, you know, a lot more uh, guys being interviewed and candidates for head coaching spots than there actually are head coaching spots. So, kicking it off, Matt Nagy, Brian Pace, and staff from the Bears. Uh, the reporting structure will change a little bit uh, with the GM now reporting directly to owner. And sorry, Chairman George McCaskey, who has been told by the board that they would like him to continue in his role. The board is headed by his 99-year-old mother, so Mommy says he's doing a good job. <laughs> um, Ted Phillips is going to be shuffled into a different role before retiring. He really should have just been fired as well because, you know, this is Phillips slash McCaskey's fourth GM, fourth head coach. Um, fourth GM, fifth head coach, actually. That, that they'll be bringing in. So uh, nobody's surprised by this one. Uh, as a Bears fan, needed to happen. Should have happened last year, uh, you know, before they drafted another quarterback. And I'm happy with the Fields pick. I think we all know that. But, you know, they should have reset the whole organization then instead of dragging it out another year. All they did was hamper Justin Fields another year. Um, real weird press conference on this one, taking shots at some veterans and, you know, not veterans, but taking shots at uh, some retired players and some Bears legends and just bad organizations stay bad when you don't change up the 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 ownership or the people above the systematic issue. The you know maybe not ownership because that's a harder thing to do, but your football operations people and your chairmen's and your things like that. Bad organizations stay bad. So we'll see what they do. They are bringing in Bull Polian to help with this head co- coaching search, and we'll get into some candidates for it a little bit later on. Anything on Nagy and Pace? Dan? There you go. Couldn't tell if you were talking or not. Yeah, we good? Yeah, you're good. All right. We're a professional um, show. Yeah, right? No shit. Uh, if they didn't get fired, or without them getting fired last year, we got the incredible... You know, Justin Fields, uh, I guess, interview about the situation that happened with Matt Nagy and, and basically calling him a fraud. fraud. That I, I read the article and it's just, it, I mean, it's a bunch of alluding to it. Obviously, you wouldn't come out and say it, but um, the highlighting of, well, he coached me to the best of his ability, which, <laughs> which is you're a fucking idiot and uh, you're gone. Uh, so mm-hmm. super, super thrilled about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm pumped. Like it's, you know, between him and Lawrence and getting the massively new uh, coaching staffs and stuff like that. Well, potentially for Lawrence, we'll see. But feels getting a new coaching staff brings me a lot of joy yeah. moving forward. And Pace should have should have been canned, but at the same time, I started to convince myself towards the end that if they didn't, that you know, hasn't all been bad with Ryan Pace. He's had some draft hits. He's had some misses. He's you know, there's been some questionable things on the field that he could have managed better. The Bears are not the Giants. They're not in cap hell. 
Um, yeah. you know, they had an aging defense, but you know, cap management wise, they're in pretty good shape. Um, you know, they did give up the, the first, the first for fields after giving up a couple first for Trubisky. So you miss on your quarterback. You typically, you don't get a chance to try to draft two franchises. He did cost some extra draft capital doing that, especially with the miss on Trubisky. But, um, you know, he's definitely not the worst GM that I've ever seen. I'll put it that way. So, no, I mean, there's some positives, it, at least with pace, unlike with Nagy. When you don't, uh, you know, it's the same thing when we talk about with Spielman. When you don't hit on the key spots, you know, when you don't hit on quarterback, when you don't hit on offensive line, um, over a matter of time, it doesn't matter if you're finding success in your day three picks. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to put the the right product out there every weekend. Yeah. You know, Nagy, I, I think Nagy didn't help him at all. No. I think that, I think that ended up being the true, you know, pace, you know, the true nail into Pace's coffin. So, but I mean, as someone who's a huge Justin Fields fan and, you know, you as well, I'm excited for the future. So this was a, a very welcomed change. Yep. All right. Broncos, Vic Fangio let go. This is one we were on the fence about statedly. Um, I don't know whether yeah. they'd let him go or Shermer would just be the full guy. They opted to make a full sale change here. Um, the question here for the Broncos is going to be, um, you know, what do you do now? So there's some debate on what is the most attractive spot to land. Um, the Bears because of the quarterback. The Broncos because of everything other than the quarterback is got to be one of the most attractive head coach landing spots. Um, you know, there's really one thing they need to address and they're a playoff contender. And that could just be unlocking more of Drew Locke too. I mean, that may not even be you know, they should address more, but you looked better with Locke than you did with Teddy. And I think that going ultra conservative with Fangio was kind of, Shermer and what they did there was kind of the downfall. Yeah. Um, you know, you go ultra conservative with Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater, you lost a year and seeing what type of progression Drew Locke could make before you ran out his rookie deal by going with Bridgewater. It was just a mistake all around. So the Broncos, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They go to the defensive side of the football again. I don't think they should. They should probably go to the offensive side of the football, given a lot of the talent they have there, bring in a really solid coordinator. But, you know, we'll see what route they go and what happens there. And they've got a good roster. I mean, it, it's, you know, from, you know, from a head coaching standpoint, I, I would think, and I've been, you know, I've, I've thought this, that this is the best. The Broncos have the best probably opening or I guess the most enticing you know we, we say Chicago Miami's up there too with a lot of good pieces um Denver is just there and and, and the defense is young they're productive mm-hmm. um the amount of playmakers you have on offense to really kind of help mold whoever you want to bring in and you're going to get free reign they're, they're probably going to get free reign to go out there and try to acquire you know a Rodgers a Wilson um, yeah. I, I don't think they'll go after Watson, but they're gonna. They're not in the market to draft their quarterback. They're more so in the market to bring in an elite guy and try to take advantage of the window they have with the young pieces on their cheap deals. So it, it's it's what they do is going to be very very intriguing to me because there's a lot of fantasy pieces there that are kind of up in the air at this point. I mean, obviously we feel good about them, especially you know Javonta Williams, but what they who they bring in as their head coach and then. What Who the head coach and the GM want to do for quarterback? Exactly. 
Because you've got two good tight ends. You've got that have both flashed in spurts. We know what Cortland Sutton can be, but you've got an ultra-conservative quarterback that didn't want to push the ball downfield. You know, Jerry Judy dealt with injuries. Tim Patrick has obviously shown what he can do. You have a great plethora of skill players here. So they just they need to put the coaching staff in place. I have some thoughts on this. We'll get to it a little later. Um... Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, go ahead. So I've, I've been a pretty big vocal supporter of Spielman. Um, I still think he's one of the best at navigating through the draft. Obviously, his misses have been very highlighted. Um, he got brought in the year before Ponder. That flamed out beautifully. Obviously, it wasn't Spielman's fault. He wasn't really making moves by then. But Teddy was his the true start of it. You can't blame Spielman for Teddy. Teddy's injury was a freak accident, non-contact that he, you know, leg injury that he almost lost. But it's afterwards, it's the countless misses at all line. You can forgive a, a GM for missing sporadically, you know, every now and then on these all line pieces, but nearly every one feels like a miss. And like we talked about with pace, it's, it's it comes a matter of time where you can, where you are uh, given a lease with hitting on day three picks, but missing on your top round picks. Um, more notably, especially with Zimmer, is the countless misses at defensive back. And Xavier <laughs> Rhodes might... that up. Are the trade-ups to get a defensive the back? The trade-ups, yeah. It, it's It's been... Outside of Xavier Rhodes, they've missed... I think Trey Wayne was a miss from where they got him. Mike Hughes, Jeff Gladdy, you can't put on them, but it is what it is. Um, and then McKenzie Alexander, um, and, and obviously with Zimmer, it, it's he he just warmed out his welcome. I love Zimmer as a heck. I love Zimmer as a person. His, his coaching style and his influence on the players just got outgrown. You got the league passed him, and instead of bringing in an OC that he can work alongside with that could really take advantage of the offensive pieces that they have, it was always butting heads. It was Spielman's questionable calls along with Zimmer with the OC, bringing in more of these run-oriented, play-action-based OCs that just, it it can work, but it is what it is. Um, I don't blame Spielman for the first Cousins contract. You had to do that. I I do blame him for the extension, and especially Zimmer's extension. So I hate to see Spielman go. I I would love to see what he could have done. Uh, picking a new head coach to be tethered to outside of Zimmer, but I think these guys are always attached to hip, especially when they both got their extensions at the same amount of time. So, um, I'm excited. Obviously, we'll talk about what you know what we can get after this. I do believe Cousins is gone. Um, I, I do believe he'll be a pretty June first trade. Um, there's enough teams out there, and I think you're going to see the next regime come in and want a clean house. Um, but again, we'll see a lot of good offensive pieces. They may, you know, they may try to treat this, especially with, you know, Thielen setting to retire soon. They may want to treat this as trying to run it out. So yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah. I, you know, there's something that Theo Epstein is one of the most revered GMs in MLB history. And team presidents and is a favorite to land the next commissioner spot said um, times leader of the year in 2016 and it is that after 10 years of influence on a franchise you've kind of run out 
of the influence you can make and you need a fresh vision and a fresh eye. And I think that applies a lot to Spielman where, you know, he'd been with the team forever. So, you know, at 10 years in or close to 10 years in, and I think that, what was Zimmer? He was 15. He was a couple years after Spielman. With the Vikings? Has it been that yeah, long? Spielman got brought in 2012. Zimmer was brought in, I think, oh, 2015 or 15. Okay, yeah, so six, seven 14, years. Yeah. So not quite 10. But the other thing with that, too, in the NFL, that turns over quicker. And Zimmer was absolutely the right guy when the Vikings brought him in, which was you had a, a good running game, a very solid defense, and you know you needed a guy that nurtured that, and he did that. He did what he was supposed to with that. Well, the defense, when Zimmer was brought in, the defense was the worst ranked in the league. So Zimmer was, like you said, he was brought in because the offense was set with yeah. Peterson. Um, that was uh, the Ponder-McNabb fiasco uh, pre-Teddy. But it was the defense was in such shambles. They brought Zimmer in because of what he did with Dallas and what he did mainly did Cincinnati. with Cincinnati during his time with Martin right. Lewis. So... What you do from there, though, is you've got a team, like you mentioned, that has high-end. They don't have a lot of depth. They have high-end offensive pieces, but not a lot of depth. Um, You know, you the roster didn't fit what Zimmer does well anymore, and it passed him up, like you said. So Vikings would need to go look offensive side of the ball. Um you know, find somebody that can, you know, still leverage what you have in Dalvin Cook, make the most out of Justin Jefferson. Um, you know, Er Smith hopefully comes back healthy and you've got another weapon there and, you know, can, can really utilize some of those high-end pieces. K.J. Osborne had some nice flashes this year. Don't want to take anything away from him. So No, I mean, th- he's, again, a legitimate... I get, Zimmer's done a... Or not Zimmer. Spielman's done a hell of a job finding late late round wide receiver uh, production from Amir Smith Marset towards the end of the year. And then as you said, KJ Osborne, yeah, it, it's, he's not a two, but he's a very, very good three. Yep. So, and then whatever Thielen decides to do, I mean, so yeah, we'll see what they do. I have thoughts on what they should do. I think that you got to nurture that offense while trying to rebuild the defense because this is what happens when your team's kind of out of sync, if you will. You have a window on one side of the ball, but not on the other. You got to try to win with that side of the ball. And offense has really been, it's really been, you know, catered towards that. Unfortunately, because of, of, of the Vikings going the way that the Eagles went um, after, you know, their Super Bowl run is that they went all in and the contracts they gave out. Spielman did a remarkable job in keeping the core of the, of the team intact by just navigating through the contracts beautifully. When those don't hit and you saw it with the saints, you you lose that leverage in terms of these team friendly deals. They're starting to have to be paid out now. And they start the Vikings have the, the, they're, they're the third lowest, you know, in in salary cap this year, they will be the third lowest in 23 They're They just have to eat some of these and, and, Moving on from Cousins in a trade would save him $35 million. So there, there's a lot of incentives to, you know, to see how they navigate would be based on, I think, some of the, the key moves they make early on. 
There's a lot of incentive for a team like Denver, for example, to look at that too. So Denver, I think Cleveland. Cleveland. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there's a a Baker plus some picks for Cousins move. I think you um, want that. You know, the team only has to pick up. You know, the team has to pick up the 35 mil contract too, but they don't have to pick up the 45. So there's the Vikings only eat 10 mil. So there, there's a lot of incentive in terms of, yes, you have to still pick, you know, cousin sounds like a lot, but that's a little above average, a little above the median of quarterbacks being paid at the top tier. So sure. it's, we'll, we'll see. Um, other firings that don't hit us. So well, Brian Flores was surprising. Apparently there was a rift between the GM and, him which likely led to this um but flores is the one that was was surprising i thought that he overachieved with the dolphins he overachieved with that defense uh, particularly last year uh, but he took a team that was headed the wrong direction after some key injuries early on right at the ship won eight of the last not or nine of the last there's eight of the last nine yeah it was um with them and you know there were definitely some deficiencies on that team that he was not set up well with the running back being very key, a huge deficiency in Miami. Um, you know, Devonte Parker regressing back to underperforming over the last two years didn't help. Um, you know, the key offseason addition in Will Fuller not really playing at all didn't help. Um, but you, you know, the record and the end of the season was not justification enough to fire Flores. It was all about a rift that was there and he's going to be super sought after. Yeah. I mean, he is, I think he, besides some of the OCs, he's the key. Like he is that, I think the, one of the first hires that gets made. Yeah. And you put him with a good OC and again, it's another guy like he's defensive minded, but you look at a team like Denver that also that could go defensive on the other side of the football and try to pair it with a good OC, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, you look at Chicago that is also typically at a, a solid defense. They still have some good pieces, especially with Roquan Smith and, you know, Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson. There's still some pieces there despite an aging pass rush. You know, there there's, there's definitely places for Brian, Brian Flores if he doesn't get another head coaching gig, he's definitely going to get a defensive coordinator gig. Yeah, I mean, I it's, I'd be I'd be shocked if he doesn't get a you know head coaching job. But you know, yeah, the only hard part about that we'll it would have surprised me as well. Yeah, we'll get there in a minute. And then Joe Judge let go late, took the Giants an extra day to get to this one. <laughs> this this man, I, I think this man really wanted to get fired. I think he he he. I mean, he wasn't good by all means, but it, yeah. I mean, good on the Giants, and hopefully Giants fans can now be relieved that the Giants are again cleaning the house and getting rid of the stench that was. There's no uh, Gettleman and Judge quick fix to the Giants. Do there that that I don't know who wants this job. If you talk about a head coach that may last one year, this is worse than the Cardinals roster when the guy took over when they drafted Josh Rosen. Yeah, I can't remember his name because he lasted for a season. Like, if someone takes this route, and the defense is pretty good. Like, the defense continues to overachieve to an extent. But mm-hmm. it's the situation and the expectations and the fact that you're in New York. It's just, oh, my God. just Well, and you have no cap space. 
for whatever GM and, comes and, under. Absolutely like, right. You have less than no cap space. They couldn't even feel the full roster at the end of the year. <laughs> it's do they? It's. I think whoever. I think they're going to have a hard time finding a GM. More so than even a head coach. Uh, Steve Wilkes is the name you're looking for. Steve Wilkes. Oh yes, yes. That yeah. was in between Bruce Arians and Cliff Kingsbury. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, Joe Judge, total dumpster fire. He will hopefully go into the abyss somewhere. He's going back to college, I think. He's got to go back to college. He's. Uh, he, I mean, maybe we'll Better see. Better he's going to end future, up as a but... low end position coordinator someplace. Maybe I mean maybe maybe he'll be a DC. Maybe someone will try to you know snag him up as their defensive coordinator and see if they can strike some some strike magic some gold you know to him. Yeah, strike strike some gold. Yeah. Well, I will say this for Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman, who quote retired, didn't do him any favors either with that roster, with the construction was put on the field, with the cap space. He was not handed anything easy to work with. It's yeah, it's good riddance, Gettleman. Yeah, I don't know what their relationship was like, but Gettleman is was the single biggest problem in New York. Thankfully, he's gone. Yep. All right, real quick, some guys that are still around somehow. Matt, these are guys that are likely to uh, start their season kind of on the hot seat. Uh, Matt Rule. Can I think you? he's a he's a candidate for a midseason fire next year if if the Panthers uh, start off slow. Anything. Yep, Kevin yeah. Stefanski. He's gonna ride this thing out with Baker till the end, and then it's kind of like it's kind of like you know Matt Nagy. He's he's riding off of the the praise right. he got. I think he won Coach of the Year last year, didn't he? I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure he did. So same he'll ride off of that same wave that Nagy did with the Bears. Yeah, Daryl Bevel. Um, that's not really on him. So we're just gonna gloss over that one. He's been invited to interview. So yep, he's only still around in that sense. Pete Carroll. Uh, this is on name cachet. I, I, more I mean, so than I, anything. maybe that if they move, maybe if they move Wilson, that means Carol will go, or maybe he'll just retire and it just yeah. hasn't happened yet. Yep. Yeah, uh, other guys, handful of coordinators like Matt Canada with the Steelers are a playoff team. So we'll see coordinators start to fall here soon. Yep. Those usually happen a bit later. And then uh, Trent Balky, Jacksonville's GM, who somehow didn't get shit canned. Is there a guy worse than Dave Gettleman? It might be Trent Balky. That's true. That's and just my God. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know how he even got that job after he fucked up the Niners so bad. Indeed. All right. Some names flying around for head coaching spots. Now, keep in mind, there are five heads of coaching spots due to firing. The Bears, the Broncos, the Vikings, the Dolphins, and the Giants. There are two head coach head coaches right now that are interim. It is the Raiders with Rich Passaccia. And the Jaguars with Daryl Bevel. So there are seven head coaching openings at the moment. As of this recording. As of this recording. So here are the guys that are targeted. Just quick thought on each guy and where you want to see him land. Brian Dabble at the top of the list. Uh, Buffalo Bills current offensive coordinator. I mean, he's kind of him, Leftwich, and, uh, and uh, Brian Flores potentially now and and potentially Kellen Moore are, are kind of the 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 quote unquote top candidates here. Offensive. I think Dabble is the high. I think Dabble's. I think Dabble's got to be the hottest thing that people want, though. Yeah. Well, and I think with 
the transition of Josh Allen and the quarterback development. I mean, this could be a you know an Adam Gase type thing with Cutler and Manning, right? But the development that he was able to get out of Josh Allen um, in that offense, the way he was able to structure it, um, you know. One of the big complaints that idiot beat writer following Bears fans, not that you're an idiot beat writers, but, you know, the people that feel they need to comment on everything. Um, <laughs> we're throwing about on dabbles. Well, he doesn't run the football. He was top 15 every year he's with the Bills and running the football. When you have a rushing cornerback, a quarterback, or that rushing cornerback, that would be a Dory Jackson a couple years back. When you have a rushing quarterback, yes. your running back rushes inherently go down. But that doesn't hurt your team rushing and your team's ability to rush. And Devin Singletary over the last five games of the year was actually pretty damn good. Never mind the fact that, you know, he's been saddled with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss and a bunch of just guys, too. So, Dabble will run the football. And he's been relatively successful at it as well. So, you know, for Dabble, he's a guy that wherever he lands, I think he's going to be successful. Um, you know, obviously, top name, I'm expecting either... Um, you know, Denver, Chicago, Minnesota for him. Um, selfishly, want him in Chicago to work with Fields. That would be, I mean, as much as I want him in Minnesota, I think, I think from my love of Justin Fields, that's where I think he goes. Um, don't be surprised, and I, and this happens in the past with teams that are that are very much um want to be tethered to their OC is. Buffalo blocking teams from interviewing Dabble or, or just flat out blocking him from going. So they haven't blocked him from interviewing yet that I've heard. Okay. He's, it, it's with, it, it, it may not happen. You know, Buffalo may, you know, may feel like where Allen's development is. And then that's a real some shitty internal. move. If you want to attract coordinators and stuff to your organization later is to block them from interviewing. Yeah. I mean, Minnesota famously did that with, um, with Pat Shermer after the 2017 season from the Giants. Yeah, so <laughs> shitty move. It was. But I mean, this is, I mean, you know, you know, hyper competitive. They're they're just coming off of a championship game and the offense hadn't looked this good in years. So I, mean, I get it, but yeah, shitty move. Um let's see. Let's see if there's any confirmed interviews with him yet. No, just two requests. So not confirmed yet. I haven't, haven't heard of anything being blocked. Um, couple requests from Chicago and Miami. Leslie Frazier. Um, Chicago's requested an interview with him. This is the Bills defensive coordinator and former Vikings head coach. Uh, Frazier, I know you don't have the fondest memories, but I went back and looked, and it wasn't actually the worst. This was Christian Ponder years, I believe. So yeah, he, yeah, he was, uh, yeah. Uh, do note it though, uh, after his firing, I don't know if it was a year, a couple years afterwards, uh, players on the roster said how much they loved him. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't the right coach for them. He just, they weren't going to extract enough. I think Frazier is better off saying as a DC. I think this would be a mistake hire by Chicago. Regardless of my thoughts on it, I, I, I from those comments alone, I, I, I think I think the Bears going defensive coordinator might be a mistake again. I think they got to go offensive coordinator or yep. um, offense, but more offensive minded head coach. Yep, he'll also be interviewing with Miami. <laughs> Send them there. <laughs> Fuck them. They fired you know Flores for yep. dumb reasons. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, his name is being thrown around a lot. Coming back to the NFL from Michigan, the NFL kind of passed him up at the end of his tenure with 
San Francisco. But again, you know, Balky, Balky could bring him down to Jacksonville. You've got which you know Jacksonville bringing in another college coach. I think is a giant mistake. No, he worked with Balky toward with the Niners. Balky was the reason. Like Balky basically like pinned their their struggles on on Harbaugh and, and got uh, him fired. That's it. Um. <coughs> You know, you look at the success that Harbaugh had with, with Kaepernick and the type of quarterback he is, the type of quarterback that that Fields is, and I can look at that and say that that's not the worst thing for Chicago to be tied to him. Um, yeah. You know, again, we don't know what, what Minnesota is going to do with the position. We don't know what Denver is going to do with the position. You know, Chicago is the easiest to see from a quarterback perspective. Um, and, you know, I, I like the idea. Um it, you know, also the fact that you know you're not looking at somebody that would be a first-time head coach, but an experienced head coach. You know, if Minnesota wants a a change of vision, but to keep that experience there, you know, he's a guy that they could go after, and it's really the same thing for for Denver. Yeah, it, it's that's why I think they're one of the two most you know premium spots for coaches. I think most head coaches when they see the idea of getting to work with a franchise, potential franchise QB like, yeah, you know, like Justin Fields, it's you can really bring in the top guys who want to work there. The other thing with Harbaugh is he could just decide to stay in Michigan with his giant contract and his recent college football playoff appearance. Yeah, I will say during during Harbaugh's time with you know during the Kaepernick years, he did have Greg Roman, who's also. Yeah, uh, is rumored to have head coaching positions leaving you know Baltimore. Baltimore. So. Although um, no interviews for Roman yet. Yeah, I, 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 with Roman's track history with mobile quarterbacks, it's. I'm not saying that Harbaugh didn't play a hand in it, but that yeah. may be more of a of a great Roman reason why that cap that he got the most out of them, especially during his uh, during that Super Bowl run. Yeah. Well, other guys, Brian Flores. We talked about him a bit. And what his fits could be. Bill O'Brien is being kicked around. Jacksonville's requested an interview with him. A um, couple others, I think. So, um, Bill O'Brien is a coach. You're probably okay. Do not give him GM duties. Whatever you do, do not let him come in and then play GM. I just it feels like a move for like for Jacksonville coming off of the heels of Urban Meyer. They well, Bill O'Brien might coach. find some success that he's going to bring such negative PR mm-hmm. if they sign him. Like it, it's got to be, they got to bring in. Like I think Brian Leftwich would be the best just because of his ties to the city. I think so too. You bring Leftwich in, ties to the city, very well regarded. Let him work with a uh, a rookie quarterback. Good segue. He's the next on the list, and I don't want to spend mm-hmm. a ton of time with on um on Bill O'Brien. But I think bringing Leftwich in and giving him a shot is the best move you could make. He's a you know, former quarterback in the league. It's good for Trevor Lawrence's development. Um, he's a guy that uh, is is very well regarded. He's had tutelage under one of the best offensive minds in the league and Bruce Arians. Um, you know, and you're not jumping somebody from college that's going to run a, a clown show. I think that for Jacksonville, who's going to have a young roster that has a young roster, is going to be in rebuild mode for the next couple of years. Byron Leftwich is a guy that I think would be great to lead that team and a great fit there. Yeah, it, it just it feels just from the type of reception they would get would be just be great. Like 
getting out of the shit show of ex head coaches they've had that have struggled with them. I think Brendan and Leftwich would just bring a breathe a lot of life into the fan base instead of wearing fucking clown bats to the stadium, which I love because they end up beating the Colts. But I think for moving forward with the franchise, granted, you don't want to just hire based off of that type of reason, but I think in Leftwich's case, I think it's also a good hire. Yeah, I wouldn't want to. The only thing I worry about with Leftwich is I don't want to see his coaching career tank, career tank by the fact that he gets saddled with Trent Baalke. Yeah, I, I just like, oh my God, I feel so bad for Trevor Lawrence. I do too. But it, it's, I mean, ugh, hopefully they, hopefully Baalke is fired and then they, they're still able to retain like Leftwich if they bring him in. I, I, I don't know. All right, Todd Bowles getting some looks. So Bowles, former Jets head coach. Um, you know, my impression on Bowles when he was fired is that he got more out of that roster than what he should have. It was a situation where I feel like the Jets really overachieved with him. Yeah. Um, in the yeah, that there was just the Jets being a dumpster fire franchise is really it. Like Bowles. Unfortunately, didn't have the greatest win-loss record, I think, for his last couple years with the Jets. And it's also the Jets. Like, maybe he will. I don't think it'd be the right fit. Again, I think offensive-minded for Jacksonville would be the move that I'd like to see him make. I I would think it'd be the right move. Yeah. And the records with the Jets weren't good, but, I mean, he had some truly... He had 10-6 in, right, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? He was 10-6 with Fitzpatrick, yeah, in his first year there. Um, That's okay. Three and two interim with Miami. So, I mean, there's there's been some success, but then you know after that, Jets with some truly bad rosters. Um, yeah, just yeah. not a lot you could do there. Uh, so the defensive coordinator for the Bucks, the Bucks defense has been very very good the last several years. I think Bulls is a guy that does deserve another head coaching shot at some point. Are any of these available teams the right fit for him? Again, it's when you look at Denver that has a more veteran roster, and you could say that that definitely could be a good fit for Todd Bowles. Um, you know, you look at Miami, who's probably not going to get in on some of these top tier guys. I think that the top tier guys are going to be looking at more established rosters like, um, you know, Chicago, Minnesota, Denver, or, you know, the other team with a franchise quarterback, which is Jacksonville, but it's less attractive because of the GM. Yeah. I mean, you might, I mean, you know, you know, even Todd Bowles, you know, going with, uh, you know, even a team like Minnesota, where yeah. the reason they brought in Zimmer was because of how bad the defense was. You bring in a guy like Bowles who helped turn around the Bucks defense in a short time. Right. Again, just like we talked about how Denver would do it, you know, a head coach with defensive minded background, you bring in an OC that has free reign, you, you could see that in Minnesota as well. Yep. Uh the other thing I think that you get you know, if he could work with the with the GM there in Miami, you could have a good fit there as well because he's a guy that I think can plug in for Flores without them taking steps backwards, essentially. Yeah. All right, Kellen Moore, another Offensive-minded guy, Cowboys offensive court coordinator. Yeah, it's another guy you want to see come in somewhere established where 
He's got a quarterback that he can work with, um, but offensive pieces that he can work with as well. Um, you know, it'd be a young head coach that you'd want to see surrounded with some good coordinators. They have the hiccups. <laughs> uh, Kellen Moore would be, he was slightly rumored uh, saying that he he's very interested in, in, in potentially a head coaching job with Minnesota. I, you know, from someone who wants to. It should be. Someone who wants to see an offensive-minded coach. I've absolutely loved what he's been able to, to accomplish in Dallas. I'd love now, it even more if they don't trade Cousins and bring in Kellen Moore. That would also be it. I know there's a lot of fan. There's a lot of the fans in this fan base that want to see at least one year with Cousins not tethered to to Zimmer. Zimmer. Yeah. And and Clint Kubiak is still technically the OC. Um, there has been interview requests from Carolina. I I pray to God that he leaves. Um, but maybe Kellen Moore. Uh, I I would be all about it. But the other thing too is that could be a situation as well. Like a, it is a lot of times, and coordinators don't get axed. Is you're going to bring in the new head coach and let them decide who they want to keep and not want to keep on their staff. So you don't let them get hired away due to uncertainty. You hold on to them and then let the new head coach decide. That's part of the reason why you don't see coordinators shifting until, you know, later on in the hiring cycle. Yeah. Yep. Dan Quinn, uh, Falcons head coach, former, led them to the, the Super Bowl. Um, now Dallas's defensive coordinator, uh, good from a takeaway front, bad from a giving up a bunch of yardage front. And, you know, for a guy whose calling card was defense, his defenses were never that good. This feels like it could be a Giants hire. Um, I don't I mean, take Jason Garrett away from Dallas. Too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I want to see Dan Quinn in another head coaching role just yet. I don't like I mean, Dallas's defense enough. He fits the profile of a head coach that gets a second chance. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, well, he made a super fucking, fucking Ed Reed made a comment today. Stop recycling bad head coaches. Dan Quinn fits that perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, Keep him in a coordinator role. He's yeah, fine. I mean, yeah, he, you know, putting him at D.C., maybe he just sticks with Dallas if he doesn't get... Yeah, you know he doesn't get these jobs. I hope he does, because again, you have seven jobs and about fourteen guys getting interviews. Doug Peterson, uh, saddled by roster decisions after that Super Bowl run, saddled by some bad contracts. That's on Howie Roseman, not on Doug Peterson. Um, does he deserve another chance? I've seen a lot of Vikings fans rumored they want to bring him in. I, I. I'm kind of soured on what happened towards his tenure with, you know, with Philly, you know, was he the big reason why that they won the Super Bowl? Was it Frank Wright with, you know, with Carson Wentz? Um, I mean, maybe he does, maybe he was you know, kind of a scapegoat, but seeing what Philly was able to accomplish this year with one year turnaround, with you know Nick Sirianno and and Howie Roseman still there at GM, it's it, that didn't help the picture for Doug Peterson. I think Eagles making it back there may have hurt him a little bit. So there's another and one. I, He's used to the Northeast type of media style and everything. There's another one that could land in the Giants' lap. <laughs> that one kind of feels like a Giants move, right? I get a guy that's ex head coach that will just get recycled on to a new roster. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, 
Um, Next up after Peterson, Nathaniel Hackett, current Packers offensive coordinator, former offensive coordinator with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, and uh, Blake Bortles. He's still with the Saints. He got re-signed. He did get back re-signed. onto the roster. I know. Did you see my tweet? I probably about I see. I almost saw your tweets about I Bortles and Winston being on the same roster. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, now I remember that one. Yeah, Bortles and Winston on the same roster is a wet dream for me. Uh, you know, this is a guy who's been very successful the last three seasons in Green Bay, obviously with Aaron Rodgers, but. You know, his big calling card is that 2017 season in Jacksonville where he's able to get a boatload out of Leonard Fournette and even more of a boatload out of Blake Bortles. I mean, he's he's in the perfect OC dream spot. He doesn't have to do a fucking thing with Aaron Rodgers at, at quarterback. I, I mean, I, I don't know what type of move this would create. You can give him, you know, Kudos to what he accomplished when Jacksonville five years ago, but it's also five years ago. He's been good with Rodgers, though, which is why he's getting looks, even though Rodgers is a guy that's going to make people. So it kind of good. feels like Adam Gase, you know, kind of feels like Josh Gase McDaniels. With Manning, McDaniels with Brady. Um, yeah. I will say this if there is a team out there, Denver, that wants to, <laughs> Denver, land Aaron, Denver, Rodgers. <laughs> then his OC over the last three years might be enough to pull him away from Matt LaFleur in a franchise that he doesn't seem to be in love with. Do you? Okay. So if you hold on. We got a power play. You know where I'm going with this. Does Denver potentially hire Hackett as a play about, towards Rodgers? How about this? Let's, let, let's go a little bit more nuttier. You know, basketball. You know, if you're the, the top in LeBron, you know, famously for quote unquote picking his head coaches. What if Denver is able to pry away Rodgers without even hiring an OC or OC head coach? Because they'll let Rodgers have a massive influence on who he wants to be his head coach. I think the only hard That's, part with that is that the hiring cycle is going to go. I know it is. It's tinfoil hat. But the hard part with that is that. Your hiring cycle is going to go on throughout the playoffs where Rodgers is going to stay under contract with Green Bay until the end of the league year. Yeah. And your head, your top head coaching options, unless there's something prearranged, are going to fall before you can. I mean, look at Nathaniel Hatchet, though, right? He's not a he's not a premium uh, candidate right now. No, he could be not, looked over. No, he can be, but who's to say that Rodgers, you know, if you're telling Rodgers you can pick from amongst the scraps, essentially. Let's say that, you know, Dabble, Moore, and others go. Well, if they're viewed pretty universally in NFL circles as the top four to five options, and then the whatever dumbass hire Miami and New York makes, um, because I'm just assuming they're going to fuck it up. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm hoping the Bears won't. That's the only reason they're not included in that. You can pick from among the scraps, Aaron. You can have Nathaniel Hackett, Doug Peterson, or Dan Quinn. I, I mean, think Quinn and Peterson actually get head coaching jobs. That's, that's that's where the fuck the part two, is. They're the two that end up in Miami and New York. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. And like I said, Tim Fall hat because obviously yeah. basketball is different there. But it'd be it'd be it feels like a Denver move. That feels like a John Elway. 
inspired John Elway to me. isn't in charge though. Patton is. That's true. He's not. It's he's not. Patton is. God, he's, imagine Patton. He leaves Minnesota one year ago, and Spielman gets fired. Yeah, let go. It's could have been Patton's job. Yeah, so I don't know how much you would want more our roster at Denver's, but I much more familiar with the organization here. I don't know, but I don't know. my ten file out was Denver hires Nathaniel Hackett to try to lure Aaron Rodgers <laughs> over that roster. That's that's my ten. I can out. totally see that happening, and and I, you know there might be some tampering going on where there might be some you know prearranged you know you know trades ideas based around what Denver does. Yeah, uh, another guy that overachieved with some bad rosters, Jim Caldwell. Was he the one that got it? That got the, the most that, out of Detroit's roster? Yeah, without a contract. No, no, Jacksonville's linked to fucking everybody. They're linked to everybody, and then Denver <laughs> right afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I. Again, it's one of. It's the, also extremely old. He is. Um, I think he's sixty-three. Uh, but. He's gotten a lot out of some bad rosters as well. He's a guy that I look at and say, if he's hired, he's a transition coach. You're just setting up to be the fall guy in, in Minnesota. Years. It feels like because I think I think we're in some. Uh, the Giants. I think Minnesota's in for some for some quiet years here in the next couple of years. The Giants. Giants. Well, uh, yeah. Giants make the most sense. Maybe even Miami. Yeah. All right, Jared Mayo. Uh, Patriots inside linebackers coach getting an interview with Denver again. Uh, Patriots don't really have defensive coordinators, so it's usually a backers coach or something like that that ends up getting plucked from there. Uh, <laughs> you know, Matt Patricia was the cl- closest thing they had in recent yeah. memory. Uh, so Jared Mayo getting an interview with Denver. Uh, that to me doesn't feel like it's going to go anywhere just yet. Uh, no, I agree. Tree hasn't really done much. Eric Bieniemy getting an interview with Denver as he should. Um, somebody brought it up though, and, and I will say this: Bieniemy hasn't gotten a job yet as a head coach. A lot of people think he deserves one, but when you look at you know what fell the last thing to fall off of Andy Reid's coaching tree, I can see why there's some pause there as to how much of the offensive coordinator's success is Andy Reid and how much of the offensive coordinator's success is the offensive coordinator. Yeah, this one feels like it could be a ticking time bomb. Uh, Zimmer was in the same light with Cincinnati. Many people believed he should have had a head coaching job a lot sooner than what he got. Fangio was the same may, thing, and, and yeah, it, bombing. Yeah, yeah, it, it just may end up being that behind me. It, it's just it, it's the league knows more than we do. Yeah, and he he may not interview well, and it just may be the fact that he's just he's not he's not the best fit, and he made his fit may should be and may be just with with the Chiefs as their OC. Right. Kevin O'Connell, next guy uh, hoping to fall off the McVay coaching tree, although McVay coaches have done well offensively in the league. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how Zach Taylor continues to pan out. Zach Taylor, so far so good this year. I mean, last year was a little rough, but young yep. roster. Yep. So far so good this year. There was one other guy that fell off of that. Oh, Matt LaFleur. Matt in, LaFleur, yeah. In Green Bay. I mean... Yeah, I mean, my, I mean, fucking Mike McCarthy was relevant for as long as he was, and well, McCarthy's you know, been Rogers helps. fine in Dallas too. So, 
but Rodgers does help. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, who is so important, I don't even remember what his position is. He's a defensive coordinator for somebody. Indy? It sounds like a made-up name. It sounds like a bro name from a yeah. shitty movie. I think he's Indy. My DC. Eagles defensive coordinator, sorry. Well, Aaron, no, I, Aaron that's fair. He got a lot out of that defense this year. He did get a lot out of that defense this year, but it wasn't at a dominating level where I think you bring him in to be a defensive head coach in the NFL. Defensive head coaches in the NFL, by the way, um, rarity that they pan out. Mike Rabel, most recent one that comes to mind, Brian Flores. Yep. Those are the most recent two that come to mind. So offense is kind of the quicker way to make your hay. And then Brian Callahan, Bengals defensive coordinator. Don't know how that's a thing. Let's see. So, real quick exercise. Who are the seven out of this list you think end up with head coaching jobs? Also, Rich Passaccia, by the way, you can go ahead if you want and plug him in and say that the Raiders just retain him after making a playoff run. Could depend how deep they go. But we'll talk about him more a little bit later in this show. I think in an honorable mention somewhere. But no, I mean, I mean, he'll be the first copy if we talk about it. Oh yeah, he will. Um, I mean, you know, Jason Garrett feels like the last interim head coach to be retained and kept long term for what he was able to do when he took over for Dallas ever so long ago. And maybe he's in that he's in that same position too. They you made know, the playoffs got, after having a player, yeah. your best, your top receiver thrown in jail, and your head coach fired for being a racist, and so much more. Uh I think he is a candidate. It, it feels like a Raiders move, and it kind of feels like the the right move. Maybe it's a he completely overachieved it in what was the Chargers kind of flaming out towards the end. The Colts definitely flaming out towards the end. And, and, and um, uh, who knows? Uh, Brian Dabo, I think, does. Um, Brian Flores, I think he does. Leftwich, I think, does. Kellen Moore. Uh, what's that? One, two, Cabin. three, four. Four numbers show. Uh, three more. Three more. Uh, Peterson, O'Brien, just, just because it feels like a move a team would make. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Harbaugh, I think, does come out. I think some team plucks him away. All right. For me, I think Masachi is retained by Oakland. Or Vegas, yep. sorry. That's fair. So it's going to be him, Dabble, Leftwich, Moore. Uh, so that's four. I'm going to go with probably Bill O'Brien making <laughs> return so just because yeah. the world hates me. Brian Flores, who I hadn't thrown out there yet, and these are in no order. And then um, I'll say Kevin O'Connell is going to jump in as a surprise name somewhere. Somebody's going to take a chance on another McVeigh fall. That's, I mean, I like that. I think... Uh, the Raiders really feel like a, a Jim Harbaugh location. Yeah. Like they'll they think they found their guy until Harbaugh, you know, comes and knocking. So right. All right, be review and let's get into the feelies. Yes. Into the episode. All right. Beer review.
All right. Go ahead, Dan. You got some some Bourbon County. Yeah, so this is uh, Bourbon County number four stout. This is their their mocha, roasted nuts, sweet maple, and a touch of blueberry. There, there's no blueberry on this. Probably fell off. This is what this was her. Wow, this was her 2020 release. Mix of being super tired and probably drunk. Um, no blueberry on this, but you get a lot of the maple that's still there. Um, sweet. You know, it, it's a bit too much I, I you know obviously i'm having this myself so I, I would much prefer to share this but again when you have adjunct stouts that are over a year old you kind of want to get through them as quickly as possible so you can so try to get some of the the notes that are still on there we're also not really do packing with the maple make it overly sweet not not bad not my favorite uh bourbon county variant I did take care of the comments in the show chat. By the way, this is a friendly reminder that if you want to interact with the show, go to YouTube. Yes. We're on YouTube, Beerfield Podcast. All right. Um, I have a robust porter from from Narrow Gauge. So color on this one. I'm going to go through just the way that I normally would. Color on this one is uh, dark, slightly amber. Um, overall, exactly what I'd expect out of a porter. Nose gets some roasty notes of chocolate there. It doesn't smell overly roasty. There's not like coffee notes or anything like I'd expect from a stout. So just some slight roasty, some slight chocolate notes. Typically what I would expect out of a porter. As far as the robustness goes, it definitely does have that robust flavor to it. There is a little bit of a of a warming sensation from the alcohol, but it's not overwhelming as I enter this beer. Um, it fades into just... Some very nice malt character. I think chocolate malt is very prominent in this one um, as I get some of those roasty, almost coffee notes, but they definitely lean a little bit more on the chocolate side than the bitter or the roasty side. This is kind of caramel, dark chocolate. has a little bit of a lingering sweetness at the back end. Again, exactly what I would expect from a porter. Um, medium to uh, medium heavy body on this. The finish hangs out um, for, for quite a bit, actually. It's a little bit of a long finish. It's not thick. Um, easy drinking. This is exactly what I would expect out of this style of beer. Um, it's a very, very well done, just classic expression of a style, which I like in beers well more than I like heavily dry hopped or heavily over adjuncted stuff. Narrow gauge, um, you know, not a one trick pony. There's some other breweries out there who I won't name that, you know, live off of heavily adjuncted beer, heavily dry hopped beer. While Narrow Gauge makes their name off of their hazy IPAs, this is proof they can just do a good beer. Yeah, they're they're uh, extremely sought after in the Midwest area. St. Louis does a, you know, good we can poke scene. fun at them. They, they, they got some, I mean, from having Side Project ranked number two brewery in the world in 2020 to having Narrow Gauge and Perennial, it's, there's a lot of good, great Michael brews. So if you're in the Midwest area, I highly recommend, especially if you're in the St. Louis area, I highly recommend checking out these. these yeah, movies. I mean, from the Metro East over, I mean, yeah, you start yeah. out with Old Herald, Stubborn German, Mill Pond in the, in the Metro East. Um, you know, you work your way over towards downtown where you actually have Schlafly and Forehands and then Perennial and and out towards towards Heavy Riff and you know, narrow gauge yeah. up north and side project as you get, you know, more towards U City out west and um, you know, even I think they're short leaf now, formerly Petrichor as you go out towards the Ozarks, there's 
plenty of good beer to be had in this in this area. Yep. So, about the only thing in St. Louis I'll wax wax <laughs> I have the hiccups again. About the only thing in St. Louis I'll wax poetic on is beer. <clears throat> All right. It's time. Beer fueled furies. All right, the Fuelies. I'm going to do this a little different. So we both plugged in some honorable mentions. We both plugged in a guy that that we picked. Um, I'm going to run through the nominees, which could be any number of nominees, and then we'll True. announce our winners, and then we'll we'll touch on anybody else we want to touch on from that nominee list. So for Coach of the Year, the nominees are Matt LaFleur, head coach of the Green Bay Packers, David Coley, head coach of the Texans. That's a weird one. We'll get to that in a minute. Dan Campbell, head coach of the Detroit Lions. Another weird one. We'll get to that in a minute. Nick Sirianni, head coach of the Eagles. These are all head coaches. I'm just going to stop saying head coach. Yes. Rich Bisaccia, head coach. I did it. Of the Las Vegas Raiders. And Mike Vrabel of the Tennessee Titans. Dan, who is your pick for coach of the year? Uh, there is one honorable mention I forgot to throw out that I forgot to write down. That'd be John Harbaugh. Oh. By honorable mention, I'd be by nominee. Um, my pick was Mike Variable. Um, slowly, a, a lot of it was based on of, uh, of the Titans getting the number one seed. Uh, the the ability to you know to to still be a productive winning team with the loss of Derrick Henry, which is the identity of your offense. Um, you know Julio Jones in and out of the offense. They lost multiple pieces on the offensive line. The defense struggling. Um, the loss of Arthur Smith, I think, was also a piece of that identity of that offense the last couple of years. And then you know. AJ Brown in and out of the lineup as well. Not as bad as Julio, but they were able to kind of overcome the the weathering that was the AFC as a whole. And while they I don't know if Variable will actually win coach of the year this year, Matt LaFur probably feels like the pick that will actually happen. I think in this case, for what he was able to accomplish still in getting that number one spot, which is I don't think as important as the NFC spot, but it's still very much a, a great accomplishment to get. All right. And for me, uh, it is, and I do agree with the Rabel pick, by the way. A little, yeah. little different here after I thought about it a bit, and it is Rich Passaccia. I had to get over being mad about that game not ending in a tie, which was a <laughs> giant letdown and took me a couple hours to get over. But when you think about what he did, a special teams coordinator stepping into the the head coach's role after Harbaugh was, or not Harbaugh, after Gruden was was let go after a solid start. I mean, Gruden wasn't let go for performance reasons. He was let go for human being reasons. <laughs> very good. Very true. Very good human being reasons to be let go for. Um, and then you lose your top wide receiver to a, a boneheaded incident. Total boneheaded, tragic incident. And, you know, you you also lose your top pass catcher for a portion of the year. Um, 
you know, for him to step in and be able to lead that team to the playoffs, even in a seven team field, um, yeah, I think speaks volumes to the resiliency of that team, being able to keep that team together, being able to keep that team believing, uh, it, it, it being able to do something with that is somebody with no prior head coaching experience, no prior coordinator, you know, or offensive defensive coordinator experience. I mean, you don't see special teams guys getting tapped to be head coaches all that often. So for him to come in and do that, I thought was a hell of an achievement. Um, some other guys I want to call out here. I'm going to call out the other guys that are a little weird here. Cause I think that LaFleur and Sirianni in, you know, even Harbaugh, you don't got to give a, a ton of airtime to, because it's kind of obvious whether they may be Harbaugh a little bit. I'll wax my, you'll, I'll wax you my, that. my reason why I, I almost but, picked Harbaugh for this spot. Coley and Campbell, the reason they're here is what they did with how little they had. Everybody expected the Texans to go 0-16. Nobody expected anything out of that roster, especially when Brandon Cooks went down for a period of time. Gerard Taylor went down after a hot start. The Davis Mills pick, everybody looked at and said, what the hell are they doing? Um, total unknown that ends up forced into a starting role, ends up being the second-best rookie quarterback. The defense overperforms. And down the stretch, Houston was able to play teams close. So you can't give a coach of the year to somebody with that record. You can absolutely acknowledge the job that he did in keeping that team together, making them play better as a unit, and getting the most out of his rookie quarterback who nobody expected anything out of. Um, you know, it was a hell of a job by him to do that. And I think they, they're they right to, to retain him if that's ultimately what they end up doing and let him see part of this rebuild. And Dan Campbell... You know, people thought that the giant that the Lions were making an obscure hire with that one when they did it. He showed from a culture perspective why they did that. And the Lions did not have the best roster. Um, they lost their star the best two best pieces of the roster in DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson. They had a good line, it, but Campbell had that team clicking on all cylinders, playing for each other, playing to win, believing in themselves. Great foundation for Detroit to build on by instilling the culture in that locker room. And there's so much more to a head coach than what the on-field results are. And Dan Campbell is everything Joe Judge spent 12 minutes trying to convince people he was. I really don't like, and you see this now with the quarterback position being always a favorite for MVP and always a favorite for, you know, for offensive rookie of the year. It's the same thing goes for coaches that I think the win loss is such a overplayed. It's so, it's so overly rated in terms of what you were able to achieve from a roster. This is why I love Dan Campbell was also a close pick of mine and why I love John Harbaugh as a pick here. And that's because of what is what the Ravens had to endure from an injury standpoint, for all they lost from training camp all the way through to the final week of the season, before Lamar Jackson went down and then eventually was out for the rest of the season, the Ravens were the number one team in the AFC. Granted, they still underachieve at times, but again, this was Harbaugh and his coaching staff getting the most out of street-level type of players and granted, it helps when you have your franchise quarterback still healthy, but they were still having to battle through Lamar Jackson's struggles 
with him with him playing too much hero ball. Um, that's that. I got to give life to that. If Jackson doesn't get hurt, and Ravens make the playoffs. Harbaugh would have easily been one of the top candidates, not from us, but from the NFL. Um, Cause he was getting those pegs before Jackson's injury, just where he had Baltimore had. So I love the fact that both David Culley, who was set up to fail, which is easily seen Dan Campbell for what he was able to change in the culture of Detroit. I don't know if he's going to be a successful coach long-term. The fact that he's massively defensive minded and wants to run the football. We've seen those coaches not have the longest success, but he got, he, he got his players to run through a wall for him. He's gritty. And, and he, he, you know, he wants to bite off kneecaps and, and he's super gritty. That speaks to where you have a ragtag group of guys. It's like a sports movie, except the record didn't actually reflect it and they made the playoffs in some insane run. It was a team who was never competitive. They were 10. They were what twelve and six this year against or I'm sorry eleven and six against the spread. Eleven and six against the spread. The one of the worst, if not the worst, constructed roster in football. They went eleven and six against the spread. That's fucking remarkable. Uh, one of the worst. The Giants are arguably the worst constructed no, I, anything in football. Maybe I think the Giants have a better roster than Detroit. I think maybe Houston has a worse roster than Detroit. But either way, bottom three roster is still, and to be that successful and be that competitive against Rams playoffs, you know, Vikings, you know, near miss, they beat them. The Ravens, you know, near miss. And, and, and to be able to, you know, th- that comeback against the Niners in week one, like they're, Dan Campbell found the recipe. Well, whether it works long term, it, it doesn't matter. But for this year, remarkable. Fair enough. All right. Fantasy Rookie of the Year, and your nominees are Najee Harris, running back of the Pittsburgh Steelers, (laughs) Jalen Waddell, wide receiver, Miami Dolphins, Matt Corkle, Mac Jones, quarterback, New England Patriots, Jamar Chase, wide receiver, Cincinnati Bengals, and a Monroe St. Brown wide receiver, Detroit Lions. My winner for this one is Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, he fell off a little bit midseason, but you know you had some absolute blow up games out of Jamar Chase. Um, he is immediately in the conversation for you know for top two basically dynasty wide receivers. Um, you know, it's a guy that didn't get. There were some concerns out of training camp based on some things he said, more so than anything. But, you know, this is a guy that showed huge upside in his first year, huge touchdown potential. There were definitely some weeks that he disappeared. But the upside made you fall, fall in love with him. Your perception was there, proven to be a deep threat, proved to be the real deal. Um, caught 81 balls on 128 targets, 18 yards per reception, 13 touchdowns. Absolutely incredible rookie season for Jamar Chase. Um, once again, setting the standard higher for wide receivers and the expectation that like running backs, they produce early and they produce often. This is uh, between him and Jefferson. We're going to have 
And then, you know, with St. Brown in a bit of Waddle, we're going to have a lot of ex- higher expectations for rookie receivers mm-hmm. that are may end up kind of going the way of how uh, quarterbacks have gone for this year. Uh, I wanted to pick Chase, and I could have picked him, but I feel like the other side of this coin is Najee Harris. I think these are the only two real clear answers. You can definitely pin a pitcher for Waddle, but for Najee Harris, Nine games over 100 total yards. He was a, a, a massive consistency for fantasy from a running back position that yielded a lot of inconsistency from his top, you know, from the top of the ADP, you know, charts, the, the top guys that were being drafted. Um, the same way that Chase did the same thing for wide receiver, they both paid off on value where many believe they were going too high. And again, it just further points to why are we ignoring a Pittsburgh team with Mike Tomlin through multiple OCs when they draft the running back that they like, they're going to use them. Najee Harris fit that billing. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, it, a great year, right? You can talk about efficiencies and all that to like from a, you know, from a year to year standpoint, it's all about volume. And there's no other running back that will achieve the, what he will hit the heights that he'll hit as long as he stays healthy. And it's, Three straight years of this hyper usage of being so productive. So, um, no Chase is, I think, the easy answer, but I think Najee also deserves a lot of credit for for what he was able to achieve at the cost that he was significantly higher cost than what Chase was. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Harris was the other guy that was really truly in the running for me. The other three, yeah, guys yeah, that I just exactly. Kind of wanted to give nods to. Uh, Mac Jones performed all season at what everybody knew his floor would be, which you normally don't see your rookie. When we say when we're evaluating rookie talent, this is a guy's floor. You don't necessarily expect them to be there year one. It's four years in. If this is where the guy consistently performs, that's the minimum expectations we had is what that means. I I still think he exceeded expectations. I think they, he performed at what I thought his long-term floor would be in, in year one. If he continued this for the rest of his career, I would look at it and say Mac Jones is a league average or a league slightly above average quarterback. The one concern to me is that this is the fantasy rookie of the year, not the NFL rookie yeah, of oh, the year. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And he's a yes. much better NFL quarterback than he was for fantasy. And Amaron Ross St. Brown down the stretch after Hawkinson went out and he truly got an opportunity to take on some volume, just absolutely went on a tear. He was a guy that... You know, if you were playing him, was uh, you know you picked him up on waivers and were playing him was absolutely a league winner over the last four weeks. Um, a guy that you know comes out of nowhere and produces multiple hundred yard games. It's a guy that we looked at and said that you know he's probably going to be a slot guy and a complimentary piece. Uh, he functioned as a one at the end of the year. Granted, on a team that was throwing a lot that had a ton of injuries and things like that, but he did function as a one. So just a nod to him. But the guy that I really want to talk about here is Jalen Waddle. Um in honorable mentions. Not quite the upside of Chase, and a lot of that has to do with how he was being targeted. Um, you know, this is somebody that uh, was near the bottom, really, in his you know, target depth, basically. A hundred and third in average target distance, just ten deep targets for a guy that runs with four three speed. Um you know, everything pointed to a scheme issue from Waddle to where if he had been getting deeper targets, um, you know, this is a guy we could have been talking about up there with Jamar Chase. Um, 
104 receptions, over a thousand yards, six touchdowns. Um, usage really, it, he proved he could perform at the intermediate to deep levels, but that's just not how they used him primarily. Top 10 in catch rate and true catch rate, 18th in target separation, which is very, very respectable for a rookie. Um, very respectable drop rate, 10th in yards after the catch. A lot of potential here for Jalen Waddle going forward and for him to build on, especially with the scheme change that utilizes him more in the intermediate to deep part of the field instead of around the line of scrimmage. Yeah, so think of uh, a hyper-athletic Jarvis Landry. Right. I mean, it, like if you look back at both of their, their rookie season numbers, it's nearly identical in terms of production, but their uses is very much similar. And I think that that's a misuse of Jalen Waddle. No, no, I I agree. Great. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, you want to see it because you want to him reach his ceiling, but right. It, it's you know from where the team is, and and I guess we'll see post you know Brian Flores and and the staff there. But yes, yeah, he's a great year for Waddle. All right, move on. Yeah. All right. The what the fuck did I just watch or read <laughs> moment of the year. Your nominees are Joe Judge's existence, <laughs> Antonio Brown's mid-game walkout, just the Urban Meyer saga in general, or Henry Ruggs' defense attorney's statement that it's really the fire department's fault they didn't get there sooner. I I forgot like when you put that, I'm like, what? And then... It clicked. I completely forgot. I'm just like, my God, that's right. It's, we have Christ. a unanimous decision here. The Urban Meyer saga is the unanimous winner of the what the fuck did I just watch? Because it went from everything to he he ha ha, he's grinding on, you know, he he ha ha, he's cheating on his wife. He <laughs> ha he's grinding on somebody. Yeah, yeah. To holy shit, he kicked a kicker. And told his defense is coordinators they were essentially useless and accomplished nothing um yeah that whole thing led to multiple what the fuck moments and definitely the you know saga of the season i think that the single biggest what the fuck moment was antonio brown oh yeah easily but the cumulative Holy hell, multiple what the fuck moments Urban Meyer gave us is what makes this my choice. And just the fact that everyone predicted him to flame out in glorious faction. And still, it was better than we all could have imagined. It was better than we all could have imagined. It's absolutely right. By the way, I'm now drinking bourbon, Makers 101. Oh, it, there you go. I'm still grinding through the rest of this bourbon county. Yes, I have. A splash more of a robust porter. All right. Moving on. The mid-game Antonio Brown disappearing act of the year. So not mid-game disappearance, but just disappearing acts this year. The nominees are the Cleveland Browns, Allen Robinson, rookie quarterbacks as a whole, Deshaun Watson's sexual assault allegations, and the Broncos offense. <laughs> Dan, why don't you go ahead first? <laughs> I, I, before I, give mine. I, I had so many different responses to this. Just call it 
it's shaped up of there's you know, a lot disapp- of like the disappointing players based on ADP. Um, you know, kind of the the team disappointments, offensive side disappointments, um, the total nod to to Deshaun Watson's you know struggles. I saw that I laughed. I thought about putting the same, but I wanted to keep it kind of serious? still based around yeah. fantasy, somewhat serious. Rookie QBs was my pick. And I, you know, I went with the Broncos receiving core. This also included tight ends because you had you know productions from the running back. Then I switched it to rookie QBs, and that's I wanted to mainly, you know, paint. I guess uh, focus on we got spoiled from you know Baker and Lamar Jackson in eighteen to Kyler Murray in nineteen to now really Justin Herbert this past season, and the expectations were skyrocketed, sky high. You know, Trey Lance, you know, you know, at a point in time was supposed was going higher than Jalen Hurts. He wasn't named a starter. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was going higher than I think Matthew Stafford in a lot of leagues because it's Trevor Lawrence. You saw Justin Fields get drafted in single QB leagues for absolutely no reason. Um, granted, we were still trying to chase the Justin Herbert, the Kyler Murrays, and the Bakers, Lamar Jacksons of the world throughout their rookie season. It was really in reality where Mac Jones, who was in the best situation, Davis Mills, who came out of nowhere effectively, were your best rookie QBs, and they were your fifth and sixth draft, the fifth and eighth drafted quarterbacks in the NFL draft. And just kind of the shitstorm that, that Trevor Lawrence was, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, his struggles throughout the year, um, and Trey Lance could never really surpass through injuries and then getting COVID. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, despite what you know fans may have wanted, so I wanted to paint the picture for rookie quarterbacks and and really just to remind people, this is kind of the expectations for most rookies, is what we got this year. Yeah, and 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 how bad every now and again. Yeah, just how bad they may have looked. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was still a top five in money throws. Like the guy, there's so much and and just one of, with one of the worst situations a quarterback can see you know justin fields and zach wilson are kind of in the same boat it's just not to that degree so there there's still a lot of risk you know for these guys in the long term and and if they'll pan out but you can't expect what we got last year from herbert and even burrow before he uh you know tore his acl for sure all right uh, mine was Deshaun Watson's sexual assault. <laughs> the most obvious answer. <laughs> um, and the reason I say this is this: twenty-two sexual assault allegations don't just go away because the NFL season starts when there's sustenance to it. I've been on the in. If you listened leading up to the season, there's no surprise that I'm on this train. The timing of this was too fucking weird. Yeah. And it's way too out of nowhere, too out there, too high volume. There was too much just off about this that makes me think that there's not something at foot that's it's fucked up. I honestly think if I put on my full tinfoil hat that the Texans are behind this somehow. As he's requesting trades, trying to get out of t- get his ass out of town. 
they tank his trade value and then sit him on the bench just as a fuck you to him. But yeah. 22 allegations is nothing that anybody else can talk about throughout the the offseason. And then there's no word on an NFL investigation. All of a sudden, the allegations kind of stop. There's no words on proceedings, really no words on, on criminal investigation, no word on punishment from the NFL. The Texans sit him, which is a story the first two weeks, and then just do it the rest of the season without so much as a mention of it, for the most part. Where did it go? Because in today's society, that doesn't just disappear. So where did it go? It just, it, you know, you heard the train rumors come up every now and again, but the heat that this had for it to just die off because the season started. We'll see more of it this off season, but that's the reason it's a disappearing act because it completely died. And for something that large for no action, no comment from the NFL, no action, no comment from the two attorneys for the majority of the season, no action, no comment from the media. In today's world, with everything that goes on around sexual assault, a little weird. Allen Robinson obviously fell off the planet. The Cleveland Browns regressed, and the Broncos' offense is a Teddy Bridgewater magical act. So, a whole lot of everything. Yeah. For that Denver team. Browns, I mean, obviously, not hard to see why. All right, underdrafted league winner, the steal of the year. Your nominees are Jalen Waddle, Debo Samuel, Leonard Fournette, and Cooper Cup. My pick on this one is Debo Samuel. Cooper Cup wasn't the running for this, but the deeper cut is the guy you drafted in the eighth or the ninth round finishing as the three, and the guy you drafted in the fourth round finishing is the wide receiver one. It's a bigger jump. And I think part of Debo Samuel's fall is everybody that was blinded by Brandon Ayuk when Debo missed some time hurt last year and forgot how good Debo Samuel actually is. But then what you didn't predict was the way that he folded into the running game as well and the way that he would be used in multiple facets of the game, not just as a as a top-end wide receiver. And every week, whether it was as a running back, as a wide receiver, um, through the rushing game, through the air, you know, he's helping his team, he's providing value, and he's really creating this new role for for wide receivers that – I I don't know that anybody other than him, AJ Brown, and maybe DK Metcalf could pull off because they're built like brick shit houses with that level of athleticism. You know, Visca, like maybe Visca, Visca, Visca if he could, could stay healthy also and if he was right more scheme. talented, and yeah. then Corbidero Patterson, who's was kind that of their role for OG the Falcons. Patterson's kind of the OG of this, though. The Vikings used him in that way, and so did the Bears. But Yeah, I mean, you had Tyreek Hill in his first year with the Chiefs. Haven Austin, I think, a little bit, even with uh, with but, the Rams early on. They kind of used him, and, and then he kind of fell into that. There's that also a reason role. why Austin wasn't so as successful as this, though, and I think it's just small, too. the pure size-speed combo. People ask, why yeah. couldn't you know, Michael Hardman be used in a role like this? Well... He's not built like a brick shit house to operate around the line of sc- scrimmage the same way Debo is. Just like Debo's not built to burn people deep like Hardman is. I mean, they're just different types of receiver. And I think what we saw here, the NFL's a copycat league. 
there's going to be people trying to grab on to receivers they want to use in a way that, you know, San Francisco used Debo Samuel. And it's not in a way that we haven't seen receivers used. It's in a way we haven't seen receivers of that size used. Yeah, and and, and just it, it played hand-in-hand with the running back injuries that they were dealing with. The fact that they 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 recognized Ayuk out of the doghouse was kind of coming back to where he, he was his rookie season and George Kittle being utilized more. It was all three of these pass catchers, all three of these dominant yak players that needed to create ways to maximize their potential and Debo as a better, you know, Cordero Patterson, a more productive Cordero Patterson really hit home with that, right? He had that stretch where I think San Francisco got a little too cute with him as a runner. He was so productive and so finished well because he scored touchdowns. They had to go back to using him a bit more. I mean, he had three straight games with one catch from weeks 11 through 14, pivotal parts of your fantasy season, seven targets, three catches. But he was still fun. He was still great because he's rushing his running and scored. And then you've got to see him bounce back to where, okay, you should probably use him as a traditional receiver, but factor in elements. You know, that was uh, really, Curtis Samuel as well. That was really when Elijah Mitchell came back. And Samuel, again, kind, that of, too. More, kind of more yeah. Tavon Austin uh, yep. than, than what Debo is. It's just you know, being built like a brick shithouse. But you know, you're right. There was a little bit of a fade there, but he was getting it done rushing production. If something wasn't working, the one guarantee you had of San Francisco is that Debo was going to find his way involved. And to go from being drafted in the eighth or the ninth round to finishing as a wide receiver three, it's harder to find better value in your draft than that. It is. That is the absolute, you know, based on this question would be the right answer. What Cooper Cup did and where he finished, yes. a points per game finish, how close he was to breaking two, you know, two actual NFL records um, and still being around four. Yes, round four doesn't look as great as round eight, round nine. Deep Cooper Cup was yeah. also being disrespected by another wide receiver on his team Robert that Woods. went a half a round earlier. Now, granted, it wasn't the extreme parallels of difference. Ayuk was a fifth and sixth round pick, Debo eight and nine. Robert Woods was more of a mid third. Cup was more of a mid fourth. He also had a sometimes fifth. deeper file of getting it done than what Ayuk had to. So you could exactly. justify it a little more. Yeah, but if 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 Cup if if even if finished with nearly five more points per game than Debo, we this wouldn't be a conversation. But from what Cup was, and the fact that he single handedly, my team included, for one of my leagues, carried me to a, a championship with his massive consistency, and you know this will allude to our MVP voting for fantasy this year. It, it, it's still even as a round four. The dominance of what Cup did. Yeah. From a week to week, his lowest score in week, still double digit points in PPR, all the way back in week four to yeah. multiple 30 point weeks. And, and even during the fantasy playoffs, he was a wider, he, I think he finished as a two. And his worst week was against Minnesota. And that's because he didn't score a touchdown. He still got you over 10 catches and 100 yards. It, it was. What we got from Michael Thomas from a few years ago, it's remarkable from where you drafted him, even three rounds after the first round. Yep. There was not a dud week for Cooper Cup. 
And I looked at Cup hard because I knew he was going below Woods, and the Woods injury undoubtedly probably helped us a little bit. I mean, he, but, I mean, even I mean, not really. I mean, Cup had what nine touchdowns before Woods even got hurt. Before Woods got hurt, I mean, from the receiving volume though, because Woods was starting to grab a bit That's, more target volume. Yeah, um, but then you had Beckham come in, so you know it's not a huge swing. Look, I I'm a giant Cooper Cup fan, and to go from yeah. round four to easily the wide receiver one. And by the distance, he was the wide receiver one. I think is absolutely deserving here as well. Yeah. All right. Other honorable mentions here. Leonard Fournette was going as a ninth round pick. Um, I think he finished his RB seven. He was top, yeah, he, he was, was he was seven. in the bottom RB one because of his hurt. He got hurt towards the end of the year. Right. And then Jalen Waddle, we already talked about. He he uh, finished his top fifteen. So. Yeah. All right. He's not dead yet, old man of the year. <laughs> Your nominees are Melvin Gordon, running back 23. Zach Ertz, tied in five. Tom Brady, quarterback three, at 44 years old. And Aaron Rodgers, the QB six. And we're unanimous. We're unanimous here on Tom Brady as the quarterback three at 44 years old. I almost pegged Zach Ertz, but then I, I remember close, you know, tight ends. Big dead beginning of the season, but tight end five is really no different than tight end 10. So Tom Brady just continues to defy all that is known for just football players in general. We, I mean, you and I being able to witness his existence in football, we're never going to find a player like Brady, I think, ever again. Just and and to be this, you know, productive. This this puts even Farb's best year at forty years old, thirty nine years old with the Vikings to shame, and just the continued production with you know on and off injuries. Antonio Brown, Gronk, Godwin, Evans, um. The slew of running backs, they're not slew, but more so Jones and Fournette kind of battling early on. And while Brady does look more so this year than even last year, that he's kind of starting to kind of see it start to end, he still finished as a QB3 and was more hyper efficient in in his own ways. And and it's remarkable just watching it, you know where most people are trying to draft, you know, Konami code quarterbacks, you have old man Brady basically becoming a top three quarterback because you, you don't give a fuck. What area of Russia did you tweet this show? At? Dude, I have no clue what the fuck. I mean, I don't know what they're saying. I'm assuming it's something bad. It's just, it's not going to be flaked. It looks like somebody just head, head butted a keyboard. <laughs> but it always starts with the same three letters. So, I mean, yeah. it's like, I don't fucking know. Whatever. I don't know. Anyway, Tom Brady, um, you said it better than anybody else could have. The honorable mention here, I think the only one that deserves mention is probably Aaron Rodgers, who also continues to perform at a high level with less around him. So. That would be the the only other one that was really in contention here. Melvin yeah. Gordon was fine. He's old for a running back at 28, but he's not super old yet. And Ertz, like you mentioned, 
tight end five looks good when you call it the tight end five. When you actually look at the point separation, that could have easily been tight end 12. So, yeah. It's exactly. not like you went between out there and him, Between him and A.J. Green, it was really just old man Cardinals. Yeah. <laughs> Getting it done in the absence of Hawkins. Everybody Hopkins. retires Hopkins. in Arizona. Yeah, right. Waiver pickup of the year. Your nominees are Debo Samuel, the wide receiver three, eighth or ninth round pick, so maybe not a waiver pickup, probably some shallower, shallower leagues. James Conner, running back five, definitely was on waivers at the beginning of the year. Michael Pittman, wide receiver 17, definitely in some shallower leagues, could have been on waivers. Cordero Patterson, the running back nine. Amon Ross St. Brown finishes the wide receiver 20. Hunter Rinfro, the wide receiver 10. And then Elijah Mitchell. And I think you started last time. I'll start this time. My yeah. winner is Hunter Renfro, the wide receiver 10. Renfro's a guy that I preach about every year, or the type of guy I preach about every year that you want to have on your roster. And luckily, I had him on a lot of rosters this year. And it's because if you were to catch an injury or somebody getting hurt, you want somebody that's going to come in and not dodge you while you figure that out through bye weeks, you need that piece to plug in. So he's a top of bench guy most weeks. Well, then Darren Waller gets hurt. And, you know, Hunter Infro puts up some solid weeks with a little bit more passing volume for the Raiders. And Darren Waller gets hurt, and all of that volume starts to go Hunter Renfro's way. And he chose a different range of upside. You can't cover the guy. Um... He's a heady player, a hell of a run, runs some of the craziest routes that I've ever seen to separate, use other moment, you know, players' momentum against them. His agility, which is his best athletic trait, he uses better than anybody else. He comes in and finishes as a wide receiver 10 um, based on increased volume, based on that ability to you know, be smart about how he plays and create that type of uh, of separation, dissonance, and chaos. So Hunter Renfro is my waiver wire pickup of the year. You got a, a, a top 10 wide receiver either late in your draft or, or free out of him. And, you know, even on the stretch, he did have one bad week in the playoffs. But other than that, he's very solid and, you know, a, a larger reason while you're there. While you're there. You know? Yeah. And more touchdown upside this year than in years past. With nine. Definitely didn't hurt when Darren Waller went down. But our picks, and I'll get to mine here in a second, are are are, are the true answers to this category. You know, I, I get where, where we're going with, with Pittman, Debo, and, and Connor. All three of them were drafted high single digits or double digit rounds. Mm-hmm. They were all in, within that pick 85 to 100 range. And some of them might have been dropped. But I mean, for guys that yeah. were truly for sure on waivers. Yeah. And, and, and you see waiver pickup of the year. This doesn't stem to where you picked them up, it, yeah. it doesn't just stem to what they did overall as a year. But for Amon Ross St. Brown, for yes. what you got from him when you picked him up, six weeks from weeks, and, and he showed production midseason, even where he had a couple of of eight target games that led to seeing the potential if he got that opportunity. Yes, it took injuries, you know, injuries to Quintus Cephas, to um, you know, 
to TJ Hawkinson to Swift for the two big names, you know, to, you know, to Khalif Raymond to being in and out with COVID for, for the Lions to truly invest into to the target volume they give to St. Brown. But from what he did from week 13 against the Vikings on was remarkable. His playoff run, weeks 15 through 17, the wide receiver won. The, not A, the, outscoring our favorites in Cup and Samuel during that stretch. And he had two weeks. So this wasn't just a, he blew up in the playoffs. This was, he had three weeks prior to the playoffs starting. Maybe four weeks prior, because obviously if you count week 18, so two weeks prior, even you had, you had time to truly know what you had in, in Amara St. Brown during that stretch and paying off at the most pivotal, at the most pivotal time. It's the reason why. So Renfro was what Amara was for the playoffs is what Renfro was during the mid part of the season where it was just consistency and a great pick for that. You know, Elijah Mitchell, when he was healthy, showed why he was a better fit for that Niners running game than Trey Sermon was. And Patterson was basically an RB, the RB1 or the a top three running back for the majority of the early part of the season. It wasn't until Atlanta started to fuck around with his usage and using him less as a receiver yeah. where his numbers started to tail off. Um, I'll give one more audible mention. That's probably is, is that uh, Devonta Freeman. The same. He wasn't as as highly prolific as uh, Elijah Mitchell was towards that mid part of the season. He but carried me to a playoff position. Yeah, he he, he helped a lot of teams who lost wow, a sorry. lot of your top tier running backs. Kind of fill that RB two slot with he confidence. He didn't carry so. me. He prevented the floor from from falling out when that happened. He supported. Yeah, he was me. basically lesser Mitchell, lesser Fournette, yeah. but he did it for just as long until Murray came back. So it, yeah. it, it's. I think our two picks are, are, are hands down the, the two correct. I, I, I agree with that. And the reason it wasn't Patterson, who was an early season pickup, was because of how he tailed off throughout the season. The reason it wasn't mm-hmm. Mitchell, who was an early pickup, was because of the injury issues throughout the season. Yeah. If you'd gotten a full season of productivity out of either of them, I think that's the answer. But I completely agree with St. Brown and not what he did, but when he did it. Because if you got him late, especially as COVID is starting to throw some shit into Haywa, in sideways and you know all of that then you're very happy with that yep all right fantasy comeback player of the year nominees for this one are Dak Prescott Debo Samuel Joe Burrow James Conner and really three of the four I don't think you could have gone gone wrong with um but who'd you pick so I went with what I thought was the the absolute clear answer after I did just a, a minimal amount of research, and that's just because of how many games Debo actually missed in 2020. You know, Ayuk's rookie year breakout year in his own right. Debo, on the same path, right, broke out as a rookie in 2019. Debo played in a total of seven games in 2020. And in two of those games, he left early. Week four. I mean, he got banged up left early. And week 14 was when he hurt himself, was done for the year. Missed games in between. And we know what he did this year, right? We don't need to rehash what his production was, where he finished at, and, and, and the consistency and where he was. And while 
Dak and Burrow will likely be the NFL comeback player of the year for the actual football because the quarterback is heavily skewed. But Debo provided you from a fantasy standpoint from from being the late round darling, from being the true comeback and and the defining what that Niners offense was. Once it once it became clear to me that that one became an, an easy answer. It, it was, you know, a tier one through three of his own right, in my opinion. Yeah, and I I don't disagree with the Debo answer. I want Joe Burrow, um, and I think that it was not just the ACL tear, but the year one to year two jump, and. The just dominance, that he the had dominance, in the and runs. some of the massive, Definitely. massive upside that he had down the stretch. I mean, it's not just he came back and jumped back onto the track he was on. He came back, jumped back on the track he was on, and then took it to another level. So, you know, for Joe Burrow to come off of that injury, for quarterbacks, you wonder how are they going to take hits. We we felt like since he could have done more to address the offensive line for him. You know, how are they going to stand in the pocket? And there were some concerns with that in training camp. What what was his mobility going to be? You know, what was his mentality going to be? And, you know, he got used to it. Went close to 5,000 yards on just 520 attempts. That is a huge, huge, huge deep ball success rate. Um, you know, below 550 attempts, you don't expect him to be sniffing 4,500 yards. But he did. Seventy point four percent completion rate. That's first off, absolutely not sustainable. But unless you're Drew Brees, but or Kirk Cousins, and those yeah. are offenses geared to you know to bring out that efficiency, right? So when you're you know hitting deep, but also hitting on a high completion percentage, um, dude took fifty one sacks. I mean, if you're scared to stand in the pocket, that's a hard thing to do. But I just think the poise that he showed. And then, you know, some of the numbers he was able to put up, like this is Josh Allen's year three, right? To where even if he regresses a little bit, you're still okay. That's what Joe Burrow did. Um, Back-to-back four touchdown performances. He went the last four weeks without throwing a pick. Um, You know, had a very solid stretch at the beginning of the season as well. A little bit struggles there in the middle. But, you know, it's hard to turn a blind eye to what he did. And I like last one. I think that these are the two absolute right answers. Yeah. For, you know, Debo, who could have lost his job while he was out to IU, given what he had. Um, and Burrow, who, you know, still you know, rookie year, right? To come back and yeah. do what they did. I think that that's, that's absolutely right. Not James Conner, not just, uh, you know, being banged up most of last year, but going to a new team. And being able to perform as he did, and then Dak Prescott coming back and just kind of picking up where he left off. Yeah, it, it you know Burrow is still a great answer. If it wasn't for, it was if I mean honestly, it, and this is no disrespect to Burrow at all because what he did this year was absolutely incredible. The last two weeks, the most pivotal two weeks in your fantasy leagues, is where he had his two best games and our and what is considered the the two. The greatest two game stretch in fantasy QB history. Nearly a thousand yards and eight touchdowns. Back to back QB one weeks and in, in your two most important weeks if you made the playoffs. And unfortunately, 
your wild card week, he dodged you. You know, Q, I mean, sure, points, 12.8, but, you know, QB 17. Um, Burrow definitely. I think Burrow wins. I think Burrow, nice. Bottle kill. Bottle kill. I think Burrow definitely deserves the award in the actual NFL, but uh, definitely a good mention. I, yeah, it, it's having the offensive weapons he has, it, it makes it for a very exciting future for. Bengals fans and for people who have these players in the dynasty roster. All right. Keeping her moving. Heartbreaking injury of the year. Your nominees are DeAndre Hopkins. Hamstring. Pretty sure it was a hamstring. Was it? That was foot. Uh, it was foot injury. It was because I remember being concerned because big guy with the foot injury. <laughs> I'll look it up. Yeah. No, I was looking. Yeah, you look it up because I'm talking. Yeah, uh, foot injury. It was. Was it? It was a hamstring right before that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he broke his foot. Yeah. It's, yeah. Calvin Ridley, mental health. That is an injury. Yes. James Robinson, Achilles. J.K. Dobbins, ACL. Christian McCaffrey. I don't even remember what he hurt. Literally everything. Everything. That's kind of what it, it felt like. It, it felt like it felt like everything. Yeah. Everything. Derrick Henry foot, and I know he's back now, but he missed the rest of the fantasy football season. Yeah. Um, Robert Woods ACL, and then Saquon Barkley with the midseason ankle injury. Um, I'm gonna throw on Acres with Dobbins there as well. Oh yeah, Acres. And you can even make a case for Gus Bradley, too, because if Dobbins went out, Bradley became premium. Gus Edwards? Yeah, yeah. Gus. Gus Bradley. (laughs) (laughs) Ravens running backs. (laughs) And even kind of Rams running backs, because, you know, Darrell Henderson, halfway point of the season, yeah. Anyway, my pick was Derrick Henry. Um, Henry was easily the running back one. He was on his way to carrying a bunch of teams to fantasy titles, one one of mine included. Um, You know, this is a difference maker, right? You can build a team top to bottom. That's very, very good, but there are going to be weird weeks. Like I think it was week 15 this year, week 14, week 15, the one where everybody just kind of dudded. Yeah. It was week 14. Cause it was the first week of, you know, it was week 15, first week of the playoffs where everybody just kind of dudded out. And that's when you need your superstars to be able to carry a team. So Derrick Henry is that type of superstar that you spent a top four pick on on your roster and hurt his foot and missed the rest of the year. That to me is the heartbreak, heartbreak injury of the year. Um, you know, it's not like CMC whose capital was already down a bit coming off of last year. Um, also having injury issues. That's not a, a shot at spoilers, your pick. That's just the reason that it was Henry over CMC or, or, or Barkley for me is that, you know, those two have injury history. They're coming off of injuries. So you already kind of factor that into your draft capital. Whereas Derrick Henry, you didn't. Well, for Barkley, it did. CMC was so widely considered the RB1. So you're definitely right. There was people that, that might avoided. Be the only one that had pause on CMC? People, I mean, as a as a community, as a mock drafting community, what CMC provides in the way that Devontae Adams does for the wide receiver position, what Cooper Cudd did this year, what, what, what Michael Thomas did a couple years ago, there is no running back 
that has CMC's ceiling. And we saw glimpses of that weeks one and two pre-injury before he cured himself against Houston in week three. RB1 finished RB3. He was the RB1 in week one, the RB3 in week two. Both 20-point finishes. In games that he played over 50% of the snaps, no less than 24 points. It's what CMC provides. And the glimpses you got to see when he was healthy is why he, even to this, even in 2022, there's still people talking about McCaffrey as a 101 pick. People that don't allow running back injuries to affect their redraft drafting. This isn't dynasty. This is redraft where the running back positions, the injury history for just running backs in general is is a damn near 50-50 flip on whether or not your guy that gets drafted gets hurt, your running back that does. Mm -hmm. And this year was especially highlighted just because all the top guys minus a couple kept getting injured. And Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with Henry. Henry would have been my easy pick. Uh, Kelvin Ridley just because of we need to highlight mental health as important as it is. Yeah, and, but, and Ridley, a lot of people were expecting with Jones gone to pick up a lot of that volume, and you know, really up to that point, it hadn't necessarily panned out. He had been okay, um, but who knows how much of that mental health contributed to right? Maybe his, uh, you know, his uh, focus right. not being there, and and hearing what we're hearing now, and and, and that it looks like Ridley's relationship with Atlanta is fractured, which really makes me think. What was going in Atlanta, on in between well, those two walls? Between or, them, I believe he lost a family member. Was it, I think, this year or last year? So I, I think it may have been his brother. Yeah. Um, It, it just it sounds like Atlanta did him dirty. And that's sure. no pun intended. It, that, that, that truly hurts me because it, 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 at this point, you would feel like Ridley would want to come back because the relationship is strengthened. But the fact that it's fractured means Atlanta probably did something to not make him want to come back. And you know what? If that's the case, I hope he lands elsewhere and is a comeback player that you're candidate. I really do. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's um, no player that I'm, and, and we have at times have, uh, have kind of, I, I will not say shit on. We like, haven't ever like, shit on Ridley. We were just, I think that draft season in particular, a little bit more realistic about what Ridley could be than what a yeah, lot of people it, were. Being. We were never as high on Ridley as, that some yeah. people in this community. And that's not to we'll say, say that, that we were low. We just thought he was more of a floor guy than a boom guy. And, and he was going to have his chance to prove us wrong this year and didn't get it. So yeah, I'm not going to say it didn't happen. Didn't get it. It was taken. Yeah. From him. Who knows if before he excused himself from the game, because his health is more important. His mental health is more important than his football career. So I'm, I am now rooting for him 1,000, 2,000, 10,000%. I hope he leaves Atlanta because it sounds like that relationship is broken. And he deserves a spot on this. He would have been my pick. Um, I decided to pivot to McCaffrey from a, you know, from a pure fantasy standpoint. Just him and Henry are, are stand out for their own reasons. But McCaffrey, with how we do a lot of our scoring in leagues overall, it's just there's no one with his ceiling. So I, it, it was easy pick for that but there's a lot of guys that could fit this billing from hopkins james robinson finally got going after urban meyer was fucking shit can to the loss of our you know 220 darling running backs and dobbins and acres 
to Barkley, who's almost like a lesser C, you know, lesser CMC. But now he's kind of free from the Joe Judge and Giants situation. So it feels like next year we're going to get value running back. Everyone's going to buy into the zero RB because of what happened. And if it feels like running backs are going to be a value next year. All right. <coughs> Moving on from out of nowhere, rookie breakout that nobody, rookie or breakout that no one saw coming. You know, I'm smiling because I'm going to argue with yours. Not because of I disagree with the recognition, because I disagree that no one saw it coming. Um, more on that in a minute. Well, I mean, uh, no, 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 you gotta wait till we get there. We're not there that's yet. Fine. That's fine. That's fine. It's coming. I get to finally be on the right side of this argument, ladies and gentlemen. There is a, I don't know if you'll be on the right side of this or not, ladies and gentlemen. There is going to be a classic Dan and Chris spend way too long debating something that ultimately doesn't matter <laughs> type of from, discussion from a player is they both like, <laughs> from a player we both like that's about to come up. Um, anyway, from out of nowhere. Rookie or breakout that nobody saw coming. Your nominees are <clears throat> Cooper Cup, Elijah Mitchell, <laughs> Rashad Penny, Davis Mills, Debo Samuel, and Hunter Renfro. And I know I went first last time. I'm going to go first this time so I can get it out of the way. I feel like we can still make the same argument even for you. But yes, you know, go on. Now, the argument for me, Elijah Mitchell is a undrafted rookie, and it's a level of performance that you didn't have an indicator to, right? This isn't a guy that that came out it, with, you know, highly touted. It's not anybody that. It's like Philip Lindsay. It's not anybody that anybody was on, mostly because of age. I mean, he the athletic profile was there for Mitchell, but. The age wasn't there. Um, I think it was combined with, uh, and, and and this pays in part to how smaller our community is to the gram, you know, to the gram spectrum of the fantasy as a whole. Right. There's a lot of people who dislike Trey Sermon, a lot of people who love Mitchell, and a lot of people thought that Mitchell was a better fit from day one. Mm-hmm. Your pick is definitely easily choosable over mine. I just wanted to. To paint that that broader yeah, picture, yeah, that we're, we're gonna get there. Sermon yeah. or uh, Mitchell was in a a tier that I had where I had like Khalil Herbert also, which are just guys that yeah yeah were coming out at you know close to age twenty four, which is two years older than you want to see your running backs coming out at from a dynasty ranking perspective. That had the talent to actually flash and do it, and Herbert did it when Montgomery was hurt. Um, Mitchell did it based on, you know, really the Mostert injury and then the Jeff Wilson injury. I think, you know, early in the season is what gave him the opportunity. And then he held it over Jeff Wilson because of how he performed early on. Yeah. But, you know, even with people not liking Trey Sermon, then you think it's Trey Sermon because of where, because, you know, he went drafted. And then you, um, I guess, and then, you know, you have the injury to Mostert, and you lose Jeff Wilson, and then you end up kind of at this point. Sorry, I said he was undrafted. He was a six-round pick. But Same so, difference. So you figure that the draft capital in Sermon's going to win out there. That's what everyone tells us, right? Yeah. It doesn't. 
You figure the contract, because they'd signed Mostert, is going to win out there. He gets hurt. Then Jeff Wilson gets hurt, who's got experience and is a veteran, is likely going to get early. He was already hurt before. Early work. Yeah, yeah. And here comes Elijah Mitchell onto the scene and, you know, is ahead of Trey Sermon and very productive. And to me, that's just, you could like Sermon as a prospect and that's fine. I see it from the athletic profile. Um, I see why you would, but it's hard for me to say that you thought this was going to be the case. You're hoping based on the athletic profile. Well, no one saw yeah. Mitchell hit the heights that he hit. And then the same thing with my player. Right. At least you know, my player did it. It's a trajectory argument that I'm going to make on your player because of the rookie season. That's that's what I'm going to make. Go ahead. And then I'll I'll jump in. I don't think you're going to disagree with me as much as you think you did. You will. What on Debo, or yeah, are I mean, we so we still want to talk about Mitchell? No, on Debo. I want you to talk about okay. Debo. And well, Debo's was the fact that I mean, it's I mean, again, picking the same player. I I didn't want to pick Debo in this spot because I, I I already picked him two times. Um, Davis Mills, when I saw his name, it was like that makes a lot of sense. Hunter Renfro is kind of in the same spectrum as as Debo as mm-hmm. as a guy that has performed when he like has already performed in his career, but then reached the heights due to injury. Debo's was because he was better. I don't think people saw Debo as a top three finished receiver. I don't think people saw Debo as a wide as the wide receiver two alongside Cooper Cup for the early stretch of the season. That's because of Brandon Ayuk. That's because of George Kittle. And the fact that many people believe Debo was on the back burner because of it. Him being productive in his freshman or in his rookie season is definitely a reason why you can give pause to this point because he kind of already broke out, but him getting hurt, being forgotten about, and Ayuk breaking out in his rookie season, people jumped to that conclusion, and I will not hide on the fact that I was in the same way. That's why I put Debo in the spot. No one saw Debo breaking out the way that Cooper Cup did, who's an honorable mention to where he finished, in the same light as Debo hitting that spot. Maybe a breakout could come, not a top five, a top three wide receiver finish. I don't think that was ever in the realm of anybody's projection possibility. I also love Rashad Penny as a call-out, too. Yeah, the Rashad Penny call-out was based on, you know, hurt and, and kind of underperformance early on. Cooper Cup was based on, you know, you kind of thought he was already performing and what he was going to be. I it's even know. Golden Tate. It was the Golden Tate thing, but even then, yeah. people never yeah. thought that. Right. The for, breakfast cup yeah, statement from Cup is now the reason why he's yeah. as for, dominant as he was. Uh, for Debo Samuel, my only argument against this was going to be that that no one saw it coming because I was always a believer in that Debo Samuel, it, maybe not breakout to that level, but was going to be the wide, the most productive wide receiver on that team. I was never brought in, bought into the, and you know this, I was never, I know, oh no, I know, I never know. bought into the Brandon Ayuk hype. Now, did I see wide receiver three? No, I'd be lying if I sit there and said I. Oh yeah, I I meant that. Did I see potential for wide receiver one? Like a wide receiver one, not the wide. I mean, receiver you may one. be the only person. I mean, I know people that were very high that saw a lot of potential, but wide receiver one was even in conversation was tough because of. Yeah. The 49er offense and then just yeah. distribution of targets. Well, for me, it was no. what he had kind of already done. In that offense, what he had flashed in that offense, um, 
and you know him coming back and you know Ayuk was a guy that you know I, you know this with me too. I will change takes on players, right? Yeah, you've gotten a lot. You and I have both grown heavier yeah. into that than what we were when we first started. But it's still gonna take more than a couple of splash games for me to change my take on players. And Ayuk was was in and out of the lineup and didn't really give me, in my opinion, enough to change what my initial draft take on what with him was, which was that he shouldn't have been drafted that high. He's not a guy that registered for me, and I don't don't know why they did it. So I just believed in Debo more than I believed in Ayuk. Believed in the talent a bit more than I believed in Ayuk. I believed in the fact that there could really only be one kind of consistent performer there. And while Ayuk had some nice weeks and was definitely serviceable, you know, the consistent high performer ended up being being Debo. And to me, it was really which guy were you betting on being that that one guy. So the only thing I, mean, I, I take is exception to is no one. And I'm only taking exception to that so I can victory lap this a little bit. <laughs> I'll say this. George Kittle would have been my answer for me. Yeah. And that was because Kittle was the most productive receiver, the most productive pass catcher. And the fact that all three of them play a similar role, they're yak monsters for their position. And they both, all three of them kind of operate in the same vein is that Shanahan continues to like he maximize the potential out of all three of them. Ayuk is probably still the third option in most minds and they still draw a place for them. You know, I still agree. Like, I don't think I've changed my opinion on Ayuk as the season progressed on. I just like that he actually produced, but the to the levels of how Shanahan got from Debo in this offense is it's still something that no one saw coming. No one. From even being able to survive as a running back more so than a receiver and still produce at a high level. It, it, it deserves, again, and I've, I've picked him three times. It deserves more praise, just how impressive of a season he had. And if it wasn't for Cooper Cup, right, if it wasn't for, you know, for what he did, for what Cup did, you know, Debo would be talked about more. Yeah. Nope, I can agree with that. All right, the Golden Handcuffs Award. This one's unanimous. There are no other nominees. It's Henry Ruggs. Sad. Just we talked about it a lot. We don't need to rehash it, but it's Golden Handcuffs very... is stupidest decision leading to an arrest. And some of these have been um God, what... who was the the Jets guy that did it? Right when he got pulled over. Was it the Jets guy? For the it was a couple of years ago. I, or maybe it was three because Nick was still with us. Oh. Yeah. And he told it, it was Robbie Anderson. That's right. It was Robbie when Anderson. He, yeah. Yeah, it was Robbie Anderson when he when he flirted with the police officer that pulled him over. I think it was Robbie Anderson. <laughs> and then I think we had Chad Kelly in one of these for the Oh vacuum, Chad Kelly for oh, the vacuum yes. cleaner incident. Um fuck, it was uh it was another Jets tight end too, right? It was pre Herndon. Was it Kellen Winslow? It wasn't it, Kellen Winslow. No, Winslow Junior. was the one that jerked off on people. Yeah. That was well before this this category evolved. It was another Jets tight end, though. It wasn't Herndon. It was the other one that kind of came back and had... It was a Bucks drafted tight end. I can tell you what we had for 2019, I guess, and 2018. Hold on. Let's see. 
18 would have been that year. That was Nick's final year, as you know. So I think that one was the so dumbest Anderson. player contact went to Antonio Brown in 2019. <laughs> yeah, the more, the more things change, the more they yeah, stay the yeah. same. Uh, let's see. What's that tight end's name? God damn it! There's the I'm Bucks of tight end. <sighs> wasn't Leggett, was it? No, it was no, because he went to the Jets originally. It was the guy that fumbled out of the end zone against the Patriots that year. It was another hyper athletic tight end that never panned out because he kept getting hurt or suspended. He was drafted by the Bucks high, and then he went to the Jets to finish off his career. He also had a ridiculous, uh, I think, arrest that year to go along with Robbie Anderson. Here you go. This is the first year. The where is it? Have I'm we not always done golden handcuffs? No, we didn't do it in seventeen. We didn't do it in seventeen. No, maybe it wasn't. Maybe okay. Here's the maybe sec- we did. Here's the maybe sec- did. Here's the second annual. Feelies. Austin Zafarian Jenkins. That's who it was. ASJ. Oh, ASJ. That's it. That was seventeen. That was seventeen. I was mistaken. I don't think we did it for that year. I think it was inspired because of that. I thought I thought we didn't do it until eighteen. I don't think we actually did. I can't find it anywhere. I don't even have anything in eighteen. I've got MVP for every position in eighteen. Waiver wire here, playoff MVP, overall MVP, biggest disappointment, injury suspension, think, midseason heartbreak, breakout. I think we talked about it, we but we never actually it. voted on. I remember talking about it even before the 18th season started. That was in because of the Robbie Anderson news. And Nick made the joke about it and how we're going to start nominating players for the Golden Handcuffs Award throughout the year. And we just, I think you, I think the three of us just never I don't talked bl- about it I afterwards. I can't believe we never did it until. Yeah. I blame Nick. So, yeah. Um, Robbie Anderson arrested apparently shows up in a bunch of stuff. Resisting arrest and obstruction of justice. There it is. Yeah. That and flirting with a police officer. That May twelfth of twenty seventeen. Oh There's man, a I love it. Memory lane. Right. All right, fantasy MVP. This one's unanimous. There are really only two options you could have here, um, and they're the two players we're going to talk about. Uh, they are Cooper Cup and Jonathan Taylor. Winner is unanimously Cooper Cup. Yeah. For as good as Jonathan Taylor was down the stretch, he had one average game, which is the same in – and down the stretch and about two or three average games to start the season, which is two or three average games more than Cooper Cup had. That's essentially the difference. You know, Cooper Cup every week seemed to be giving you a blow-up week, and, you know, since Calvin Johnson, you have not seen consistent performance like what we got out of Cooper Cup this year. That is consistently at that high of a little level. I mean, that is a boom week for every other wide receiver and Cooper Cup was giving it to you week in and week out. Yeah, if it wasn't, I think, because I, I, I did a hard look at Taylor 
again, because I wanted to be different in the spot and I really wanted to give the light to Taylor in this sense. But when Cup finishes a top three receiver in the playoffs and Taylor dotted you in the way that you know you expected from Taylor, he didn't perform because he didn't get that touchdown or no pass catches in week 16. I think that that's what most people remember is Taylor's that that it was either week 15 or 16 when all the big players just kind of didn't you know pull through and I think that's what took Taylor away from cup spot and the fact that Taylor just didn't have I mean he had blow up weeks but he didn't have cup levels of just dominance and Multiple. I mean, Cup would have almost ten touchdowns before, like halfway point, you know, halfway through the season. So, I mean, it's Cup was always a pick. I tried my hardest to make JT a response. I mean, he did break. I think he broke the record for most hundred yard games plus a touchdown. I think he broke a record for the consecutive hundred yard plus total yards and a touchdown for running back. But I mean, Cup was otherworldly. So. Cup was otherworldly, and you don't get otherworldly in this world often. No. My sage wisdom for this episode, you have reached the end. Congratulations. There is no <laughs> prize. You don't win anything uh, other than knowing that we'll be off next week. It's next week, right? Yes. Next week, I uh, will be on my honeymoon. Dan will be on his honeymoon, and... The only day we could record is Sunday, and we just kind of decided, eh, we'll take a week off. When we come back, we're going to be Dynasty content heavy, and we should be back to having guests on the show. So um, it's you're tired of just listening to us two. Great news. We're going to start to get some other people in. We're going to look at some risers, some fallers, start to look back on some draft classes, and then we'll turn around and start getting you prepped up for the 2022 NFL draft. As well as mixing him some other fun stuff there. So, Gillies, as always, caps our 2021 season coverage. Everything else will be an eye towards what you do with Dynasty in the offseason, eye towards next year. Uh, we'll keep you up to date on coaching hirings as they happen uh, every week, just like Twitter and every other podcast will, because we're not different and we're not better. There's actually no reason you should listen to us. We're just here. I mean, we we do it in a way where we're not expecting to make profit from it. We just, we drink, we give our advice and um, it's the reason why we've still made it in this space for as long as we have. So thank you guys for tuning in. We will catch you all in two weeks. See ya. No idea how the outro got turned up that loud. My apologies to anybody's eardrums. I just broke. <laughs>